When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Buckeye Talk. It's Doug, it's Nathan, it's Steven, and it's the Big Wednesday Pod. Ohio State Pro Day is a couple hours away. We are recording this Tuesday morning, and the first half of it is going to be draft related about the future NFL prospect of the guys on this roster. Because I have found over time that while you do care about the guys going to the NFL, you just care quite a bit more about the guys on the current team. So we're going to do how many first round picks do we think are on Ohio State's 2021 roster? We're going to do how many first round picks they think we think they might have in 2022, like a year from now. So we're going to do all this future stuff with Buckeyes who will be on the field in Columbus in 2021. And then in the second half of the pod, we're going to wait to record the second half until after Pro Day is over. So we don't know what's going to happen at Pro Day, but then we'll break down Pro Day and we'll talk more about the Buckeyes in this current draft. So it's going to be draft related, but it is going to give you, I think, a good shape of the current Ohio State roster, which is the most important thing to you. So we're using the draft to talk about now and we're jumping off a texter question because that's what we do, because we love the texters who join us by texting 614-350-3315. They get a 14-day free trial. If they like it, they stick around for two weeks or for four bucks a month after that. Two-week free trial, four bucks a month after that. From the 704, how many players on Ohio State's roster have a chance to be a first-round pick in next year's draft? I'd say four. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Nicholas petit Frere, Thayer Munford. Who else would you put on this list? So we went through, and I think we all did our little predictions of how many first-rounders we think they might have next year. Nathan, how many first-round picks do you think they might have in 2022? I think they will have three. Maybe four, probably three. Steven, how many do you think they'll have in 2022? Yeah, three for sure, and I'd hear a conversation about a fourth. Okay. I have two and I'll explain why in a second for context. And again, we're talking about this year's draft later, Ohio state as it stands right now has had multiple first round picks, five straight years in 2016. They had five 2017, three 2018, two 2019, two 2020. They had three 
in this coming draft in Cleveland in the end of April, they're probably going to have one. They're probably not going to get that second guy. So that's going to break the string of multiple first round picks. I think it's almost impossible for them to not have at least two in 2022. I don't know what would have to happen. Probably, you know, you don't want to jinx anybody, but I think it would have to be like injury related or like just totally unexpected, like guys staying in school or something like that. Right. That the talent seems like it's there. So Nathan, who do you, who are your first round picks in 2022? So it, it's easier kind of along the lines of what you're saying. It was easier for me to pick a number than it was to narrow it down to exactly which guys. Cause I could see like six guys in the conversation that I could, I could see being first round picks, but just based on what I can, things I'm like more sure of today, I picked both Olave and Wilson. And then I was torn either Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith. And I went with Zach Harrison. Okay. No tackles, no offensive tackles. I didn't pick the tackles just because NPF being a right tackle. I didn't know if that would limit his ceiling as far as the draft prospect and Thayer Munford. um, I, I, I just, I wonder where he's going to be in terms of that kind of matrix of like age and everything else factoring into where they see him as a prospect. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Um, Steven, who were your guys? Christian Garrett, obvious. Um, that's not the fun part of this discussion. I went with NPF and I get it. Yes. He's a right tackle, but so was Jedrick Willis. And he was a 10th pick to the Browns a year ago and they just made him a left tackle. Um, and I, I mean, if you're talented enough to do that, then you're talented enough to do that. And that's a five-star recruit. who was the number one tackle in his class. He might be talented enough to make that switch. Um, my maybe I can hear the conversation for is Zach Harrison, just because I'm intrigued by what happens this year if he just blows up. Um, while with Tyreek and, and uh, Thayer Munford, they've got some injuries, so, some injury history that I don't know if you want to w- use a first round pick on either one of those guys, even if they are awesome this year. So Jedrick Wills was the right tackle at Alabama because mm. Tua was left handed. And the blind side was on yeah. the opposite side. And we also had four gazillion conversations after the Browns drafted him about whether he could make the move to the left side. But I think the general point of, you know, Tristan Wirfs was, I think he was a right tackle at Iowa, but he stayed at right tackle at the Bucks and like was started like every snap for the Super Bowl champs and like was absolute great value. So I think both your points are taken. Yes, it does matter some. Left tackle still matters a little bit more. But it's not prohibitive either on the idea of a move or, you know what, like the 22nd pick in the draft, if we get a lockdown right tackle, that's good value, right? That when you look at tackles right now, I'm, I'm using Dane Brugler because he's from Ohio, and I, I just think he's excellent. I, he's the draft guy that I trust the most. He's at the Athletic now. I knew, I've known Dane like three different employers back more than 10 years now. He has six offensive tackles in his top 50 for this draft, Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame, who's a Cleveland guy, he has it number 48. It's funny, of all the things that the Big Ten doesn't have, and mostly what they don't have is quarterbacks, right? They do have edge rushers and they do have tackles. Like, if you watch, like, Rashawn Slater, again, it remains a remarkable thing to me that Northwestern played in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State without their tackle, who opted out, who's going to be a top 15 pick. And Greg Newsom, their defensive back, 
got hurt early in that game, and he might be a first-round pick. And Northwestern still got that far, like, without their two best guys, basically. Rashawn Slater, every highlight you see of Rashawn Slater is him blocking Chase Young, right? That it's like there are edge rushers in this league, right? That even, like, Michigan Wild, like, Quiddy Pay is pretty good, so that means the tackles get worked. That I do think Big Ten edge rushers and tackles get good film because there are enough of them going against each other on a regular basis to show how good they are. So let's have a specific conversation about the guys that we're talking about right now. Potential first round picks in 2022. And as Steven said, the receivers aren't the most exciting, but let's talk about them anyway. Chris Olave, we all thought was going to go pro right now. And if he had, I think he would have been a first round pick. I think Again, Dane's board, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell are the clear top three receivers in this draft. I don't think Chris Olave is at that level. But after that, that is where I think Chris Olave would have entered the conversation for this draft. Kadarius Toney from Florida is the number four receiver on Dane's board. Terrence Marshall from LSU is the number five receiver. Rashad Bateman's number six. Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, who's small, is number seven. And then Rondale Moore is number eight on his list. Rondale just blew up Purdue's pro day. Clearly, like Rondale Moore and Elijah Moore, they're different guys than what Chris Olave would be. Nathan, I think Olave would have slotted into the discussion after the big three. And and I think he probably would have been a first-round pick in this draft. So do you agree with that? And then do you think... Like, is his stock automatically going to go up by being around another year? Or do you think he might get nitpicked? Like, how do you think this season will affect Chris Olave's draft stock compared to if he had gone now? I think this season gives him an opportunity to put some more of those, like, separating plays on film. I think he's been a very productive receiver. I think that people who watch him every day probably have a greater appreciation for him than if you were to go out and try to really find a Chris Olave highlight reel. I don't know that that is like loaded in the same way that it is for some of the other players we're talking about here. I also don't know if he's going to go do what you just referred to Rondell Moore doing and like blowing up his pro day. I mean, it's, it's a different kind of athlete, different kind of football player in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I think that's the other thing that I, I, I kind of have in the back of my mind about Olave. I put him down as my one of my first round guys, but does he do, do teams look at him among that a group that could still be pretty crowded next year? Maybe there's five, six guys that he's basically in the mix with. Does he separate from them in some way and become a guy that you have to take in the first round? I put him in my list, but he was kind of one of the six guys. I almost looked at maybe does it make it harder for him and Wilson to both get out as first round guys next year with a freshman quarterback? I, I don't know, but I, I think, I think he's that kind of football player. I think he's got the talent and I think he's, he's got the proven production. He's got intangibles. He's got a lot of things, but does that matter as much as like those sort of like athletic differentiators that teams look for in the draft? So just before we move on to, to your take, Steven, we'll get to Garrett. Okay. Try not to have, this is about Chris Olave, and I'll let you go first on Garrett. So hold yourself back. Don't slide into Garrett gotcha. talking about Olave. But very quickly on Nathan. Nathan, we talked the other day about the 40 times that got posted, right? And, and Master Teague had a fast one. Do, you, do we remember 
were Wilson and Olave on that list? Did we gain any information of 40 times? Well, I, I don't remember if they were, but I, I there was no context for that list. It was just kind of a list of names put up, which didn't necessarily mean that they weren't legitimate. But I also, if somebody was missing, maybe they just hadn't run it yet. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right, Steven, what do you think of Olave as a draft prospect in the 2022 draft? Yeah, I think for one, Chris Olave is going to kill the 40 whenever when he runs it next year. I, he's pretty fast. Um, I think that's an underrated part of his his game is how fast he is. Uh, I, I think... Yeah, I think there is a difference between this year where you're saying you think he might be a first rounder, uh, th- but that's just how things shape out versus, you know, you're a first rounder. Maybe you're even a top 10 pick, maybe even the first wide receiver taken off the board. And I think that's the, the area he's in now because he's not in a draft class with three guys who are clearly number one receivers wherever they go. I don't know if Chris Olave is that at the next level. But he can spend this year proving that he is, especially since his quarterback is no longer Justin Fields. He can prove this will be his third quarterback since he's been here. And if he's awesome with this one, it raises the stock even more. So I, I do think that played a role in why he's back, because there is a little bit more money on the table when you're the first guy at your position taken off the board and not the fourth or fifth, who's maybe a first round draft pick. So I think this year can only help him because teams know what they know about Chris. And he can only add to that by not playing with Justin Fields this year. Oh, wait, uh, I did find the list that was posted on Chris Olave's uh, Instagram account. And yeah. He ran a 438 according to that list. Okay, that's pretty good. That, was it the, is it, yeah, is it the board? Was it the board? Is it the, a picture of the board that they have in yes. the weight room? Okay, yes. yes. We've seen that before. I that won't be board, shocked if you won something like that, yeah. That board is, I mean, it's it's not gospel, right? But they also don't make stuff up. And it's good within context mm-hmm. of each other. Is he the, who's the, who, on the board, who's the fastest guy on the board? Dobbins four three two, Teague four three five, Brown four three seven, Olave and Wade and Fields all four three eight. Okay, so it's in context of each other, right? Which matters too, because this is a program stocked with NFL guys. So I think Chris Olave. So Stephen, to your point again, a lot of the points that we make on here are, are you can swing both ways, right? There's the point of listen, we've seen what he does with a great quarterback, and he's awesome. So let's see what he does with a young quarterback. And if he's also awesome, wow, it adds to it. Like he helped this young quarterback along. He was a leader. He didn't, it wasn't all fields. You know what I mean? Like you, but also Nathan, is there any risk? Is there any risk that like his production goes down? I, th- I guess it's mostly production related again to Steven's point. He's laid down the film. You can't take his film away, but is there any risk in maybe not proving it, but that like, okay, well he was awesome when he had a first round quarterback, then he didn't have a first round quarterback and he was still very good. And this applies to Wilson too, but maybe they weren't quite as awesome. Is there any risk in him coming back and perhaps not hurting his draft stock, but just sliding down a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the floor on his draft stock seems still pretty high, regardless of what happens in 2021, I think, but I, I hear what you're saying. And I think here's a, a bad analogy is with Sean Wade, because I think a year ago at this time, I, there's a position switch in there, obviously, but with Sean Wade a year ago at this time, we would have been saying, well, he's moving outside, but isn't that probably only going to enhance his draft stuff? Like he's already thought of pretty well in draft circles. So if he moves outside, he doesn't have to be necessarily a superstar outside, but if he just already takes his high draft stock, the opinion we thought people had of him moves it outside and shows that he's capable out there, that's going to enhance his draft stock. And that that didn't really turn out to be the case, obviously. So I guess there in the back of your mind, there is that risk. And again, there is the part of me that's like, 
is it more difficult when there's two guys in the same offense? I'm sure that there's there's historical data that would prove or disprove that. But because it's with a freshman quarterback, that does make me wonder about that a little bit. I do think that the Sean Wade comparison, it makes sense. But at the same time, that would the equivalent to that would be he starts dropping the ball. He's missing blocking assignments. Everything we just knew about him already just falls off a cliff. And we were just totally wrong about him. Well, because that's because that's what Sean Wade was. He just was giving up a lot of catches and was just clearly wasn't a great outside corner. It would be the, the equivalent of that is Chris. O, everything that we thought was great about Chris Olave just goes away, which I don't think is going to happen. All right. So I, I do think that Chris Olave has a, he has a lot of skills is the thing about this guy, right? That he is fast. He is a deep ball threat, clearly, but he's not only a deep ball threat. He's not little, right? He's not tiny and he's a pro. And I think this has been true of Ohio state receivers, especially since Brian Hartline took over, but they're technicians. I mean, you, the, the NFL guys love the way these guys run routes and I think it's possible as sometimes as unfair as it is to compare guys. Hey, don't, you know, Dwayne Haskins didn't work out. Don't hold that about against Justin Fields. Right. But I do think sometimes it can help you the other way. And I think it's possible that people look at Terry McLaurin and say, I think this guy is like that guy. And we whiffed on that. And he was a third round pick and he should have, and he's a number one receiver in the NFL right now. And that was with, now listen, he was catching it from JT and Dwayne Haskins in an offense that was just beginning to evolve into the Ryan Day offense. So part of it was the way they played and the opportunities receivers got then. Chris Olave is getting a a chance to produce in a way that Terry McLaurin really maybe didn't quite get a way to produce. I think they're really going to like Chris Olave. So sometimes it's like, listen, you're Jamar Chase. It's like, I don't know. I think Jamar Chase is like out of this world. I don't think that Chris Olave is like a fly off the film athlete necessarily. And Jalen Waddle runs like a three, eight or whatever. Right. I mean, Jalen Waddle just sets the turf on fire. He's not quite that, but like Devonte Smith is little and he's not, I think is naturally gifted to some of these guys. He's just incredibly reliable and is just an absolute monster in terms of getting it done. I'm not going to compare Chris Olave to the Heisman winner, but I do think I think they're going to find a lot to like about Chris Olave. And I think in the end, he will only go up because I think they'll see the film. But, you know, when we when he came back, a lot of people took it as, wow, C.J. Stroud must be awesome because Chris Olave wouldn't come back into an uncertain quarterback situation. Right. That was part of the initial reaction. I feel like we've moved away from that reaction a little bit because now we're in a competition. You don't know what's going to happen, but. I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff. So I think Chris Olave is practically a lock as a first round pick. Cause I think, I don't know that I think he'll go in the top 10, but to me, like, I just can't imagine like somebody gets to 27 and he's still there and they're like, Oh my gosh, if we have any need for a receiver at all, like this is our guy. Like, frankly, I think the Browns could do that. Right. That like, you're a good team who doesn't have a lot of gaping holes. And it's like, man, Receivers are expensive. You get a young receiver, you develop in Chris Olave is perfect. I really think he's almost a sure thing. So let's go to the next guy, Garrett Wilson. I also think, and I want us to guess now, and we can mark it down and forget to look at it for a year, but who's going to go higher, Stephen? Who will be the higher drafted Ohio State receiver in the 2022 NFL draft? 
Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. And then after you answer that question, you have eight to 10 minutes to just talk about Garrett as a draft prospect. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I think Garrett, because you can do more with him. Just, I mean, on film, it's already been proven now. They might, I mean, Chris might get to the NFL and they might start moving him around just like Ohio State's moving Garrett around. But for right now, what's on film, Garrett, you can do more with him. And he might just be a little bit more of a freak for a guy that size. He's got ridiculously strong hands, as we all know and have seen. He's pretty fast in his own right. Um, for a guy who's only, what, 5'11", 6 foot, 180 pounds, he's pretty physical. He doesn't play like he's 5'11". 180 pounds. He plays more like he's six foot two, 210 pounds, which adds to that. He just looks the part of a number one receiver, even if he's not nearly the size that maybe a Jamar chases and him already showing that, listen, I can move around the way we see number one receivers move around. I can play in the slot. I can play outside. I can do jet sweeps. I can do every, I, I can give you anything you need as a wide receiver. That might just be too good to pass up on. And it's also interesting where this is the conversation of who might go higher might just be who's going to be the first receiver off the board between Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like in the draft period, whoever's number one just might be the first wide receiver taken. I mean, they're, they're the two best receivers in college football, according yeah. to PFF list. And I don't know that anybody disputes that. Maybe Justin Ross goes crazy this year. Maybe there's, some, there's somebody I'm not thinking of. We're not thinking of right now, which is fine. But it's certainly possible. I mean, if you were doing, listen, mock drafts 14 months out, if somebody did a 2022 mock draft, I'm sure they'd have Wilson and Olave as the first two receivers off the board because that person wouldn't know what they were talking about. They would know less than us. So how? Do, what do you think, Nathan, both of Wilson as a first-round pick possibility in 2022 and within the context of comparing Wilson and Olave? Yeah, he was on my list, obviously, and, and I agree with Stephen that I believe he would be the first of the two to go. And for me, it's – I just feel like which one – which one shows which one flashes more of that stuff that you feel like there aren't that many other people that can do that? I, I, I worry that when I say those things, people think I'm like slamming Chris Olave, and I'm absolutely not because I think he's a great football player. But there's I think Wilson has done a few more things out on the field where you're like, oh, like there's probably like he's maybe the one guy on this roster, this really loaded roster that could have made that catch that could have done what he did on the sideline against Clemson or some of those other plays. Like, I, I feel like those things matter when you start talking about an elite group of guys who are all in one you know, pile together at one position, which one is the one that maybe could go make a play for you that those other four five, seven guys can't. That's kind of why I, I just feel like there is that little bit of separation from Garrett Wilson. You've also got, you know, uh, I can't remember if, if Chris Olave was young for his grade or not, but I, I do think age can sometimes make a little bit of a difference. If you're getting a guy after a third year and you think he's that maybe gives him a higher ceiling. Ryan Day was talking about that yesterday in terms of Justin Fields, that people forget that he's played a little bit less, which means there might be more room for him to grow towards what he could be. And I think that could also maybe apply to Garrett Wilson. And the other thing I'm thinking when I'm comparing those two is, we just saw a pretty great year out of Garrett Wilson. And that was just that, that first jump. Like what is left for him to make just this sophomore to junior jump that maybe separates him to another degree. He might just have the highest ceiling of anybody on the team. Honestly, when we're talking about NFL who could be like all pro level when they get there, just looking at it on face value, he might, that might just be Garrett. Mm, uh, I, I have some people at some more boring positions that I think that actually applies to in the running actually, defensive end is not a boring position. So I take that back too. but, but I hear you what you're saying. It's, it, it's a conversation to have. 
Okay, if I, all right, and, and are we? I'm, I'm just talking about people who've actually already played a snap of college football. I'm not That's not what you said. You said anybody on the roster. I also would, I mean, Paris Johnson could go on that list. I think if Zach Harrison were to really click, I think he goes on that list. That's a fun discussion for another day. <laughs> yeah, well, it might be a discussion for right now, actually. But I do, so I, I agree with everything you guys said. I think, obviously, Garrett is maybe slightly more dynamic maybe a little more on the upside. I, again, just, I'm not sure what it looks like. I don't know what the world is where he's not a first round pick. Like, I just don't know again, short of injury. Right. I mean, that's always, I'm not going to say that anymore because that's always okay. Something goes wrong, but if he's on the field in 2021, even if the quarterback isn't as good as Justin Fields, even if the team's not as good as last year, they don't like, he's going to get the ball a lot. He's going to do stuff with it. Same with Chris Olave. So I think they're practically both locks for for first round picks in 2022 so we'll get to who else might go in the first round in 2022 right after this on buckeye talk doug Maurice, nathan baird steven means i want to give you this tease right now because this is what we are going to get into a little bit later i went through and i apologize it's possible that i, I screwed up somewhere here or there because I kept having to remind myself to put Joe Burrow on because he was a first-round pick, but he didn't finish up at Ohio State. It's the number of first-round picks that are on the roster any given year, right? So we're going to get to that soon. How many actual first-round picks do we think are on the roster for 2021? And I do, guys, I want us to include, if there are freshmen who aren't here right now, but they're going to be here in the fall, they should count. We don't mean exactly right now today at spring practice. So like, if you want to put Donovan Jackson on there as a first round pick, even though he's not on campus yet, include him. This is the number of first round picks on the roster in the urban era. 2013, there were seven. 2014, there were nine. 2015, there were 12. Because that's the crossover of all the guys who are like the veterans, the third year guys, Bosa and and. Well, you know who it is, Lee and Apple, all those guys from the national championship team. But also they have a, that's like Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and like Denzel Warder, like lurking on the roster as like first year guys. Right. So that's why there's so many in 2015, 2016. There's nine, 2017. There's eight, 2018. There's five. And that's the last one where we can kind of know for sure. I think it's going to be that in 2019, there are six because it's Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett. Um, and then I'm guessing Justin Fields, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson for 2019, but we don't know exactly yet, but like, it's interesting from 2015, there were 12, 2018, like, you know, Fields isn't on the roster yet in 2018. Right. So like Olave would be on there. But so he would make it six, but like, that's a, there's kind of been a drop off. I'll be curious to see what we come up with, how many overall first round picks we think are on this roster right now, because they have some great classes the last couple of years. But if you have 10 first round picks on your roster at some point, that's like really stinking good, right? They had 12 when it was like the most talent laden group of people that like we've ever seen at Ohio state. And like, for instance, in 2006, the 2016 that was number one the whole year, they had five first-round picks on the roster that year, right? So it's just, you know, it's hard. Even at a place like Ohio State, it's hard. I'll be curious if we get over 10 for how many first-round picks we think are on this roster right now. 
But let's talk more about guys that we think might be first-round picks in 2022. Again, we're not talking about this year's draft yet. We're going to do that later. We're talking about the guys on this roster who might be first-round picks later. Let's go to Zach Harrison, Nathan. You had him as a possibility in 2022. I did not. Explain your thinking on Zach Harrison. And if you want to include Tyreek Smith here, go ahead. If you want to talk, because a lot of what those ends do are in tandem. So go ahead. Yeah. And I, it was especially interesting because I was the one a couple of weeks ago who was like, oh, maybe he's, you know, maybe we need to rethink Zach Harrison a little bit. I, basically, the way it came down to was to, to pick up my three guys, I had the two defensive ends and the two tackles all as like, well, I think somebody from that group probably breaks through and ends up being a first round pick. And he was the one that I decided was the most likely because of the kind of the marquee nature of that position and how desirable it is. And because of what kind of his unrealized ceiling still is, even though he's been a productive player, there is still that thing out there that he is reaching for that. I'm not sure either of those other three guys are quite reaching for as far as like, what would make an NFL front office guy just like salivate. So I think that's what is still on the table for Zach Harrison in a way that it isn't for those other guys that I just mentioned. All right, Stephen, the idea of, and what do you want to say about Tyreek? Do you think Tyreek is, how close is Tyreek Smith to a similar possibility with Zach for next year's draft? And I think it was interesting because I went back and looked and I was like, well, you know, the thing that kind of you got to remember with Zach Harrison is he was a five star prospect and he was like one of the, you know, so highly ranked on stuff. Well, Tyreek Smith was like a top 35 national prospect, right? Like he was like right there on the cusp of being a five star himself. Like I think sometimes when those we've talked about this before, how quickly we we move past how we look at guys if they don't do it immediately sometimes. And as Stephen pointed out, he had some injuries. And will that follow him or will that be looked back later as being like, oh, well, here's the reason he didn't pop until later and really realize that. So I think I, I think that some of that was just a correction on myself to remind myself that this Tyreek Smith thing isn't just that he's like a a developmental guy that's been hanging around because I came in here, obviously, after the recruitment of him and all that stuff. It's a reminder that like, no, like he was not that wasn't that different thought of when he came in as like a Zach Harrison like talent. Right. Like it wasn't that much of a separation. And he probably should be still thought of as being someone with that kind of ceiling. No, Tyreek Smith, people thought, I mean, obviously he's a Cleveland guy. People thought he maybe was headed for Penn state. And it was like, they cannot let this guy get out of the state. Like it was like, send in Larry Johnson and save this recruitment. Like it was a big stinking deal for them to get Tyreek Smith because that was a impressive, incredibly talented in-state guy. Steven, where are you on the two ends? I, I, like I mentioned with Tyree, obviously I know Marshawn Lattimore had his fair share of injuries before he went crazy and was a first round draft pick in his own right. I, but also Marshawn Lattimore got healthy for a full season, which is why he was able to do that. I am not confident Tyreek Smith is going to be healthy for a full season. I am expecting him to miss a game or two because of some type of injury. I think he'll be great. And I think somebody will take, I just don't know if you, you use that pick at that position when the best available your best ability is availability. And I don't know if you use a first round pick on that when you're not all the way sure about the injury history there. That's a, that's the thing that's going to hold him back for me. While with Zach Harrison, I mean, he graded out well. His PFF grade is great. I think the only thing that's missing from his game right now is getting home. So what happens when he starts getting home and you combine that with the pressure and the ability he has already been showing you the last two years, if you know he starts getting home six, seven, eight, nine times, then I think he becomes a lock as a guy who in his third year just popped. And he's 
along that same line of list that we've mentioned in the past. So I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here too, because we talk about like this legacy of Ohio state defensive ends, right. And whatever, but really when we talk about that, it's the Boses and Chase Young who are monster, monster, monster. Like it's crazy. Right. And then they have had a lot of good defensive ends who are not first round picks. Tyquan Lewis was the, was the defensive lineman of the year in the big 10. He got picked at the end of the second round. Sam Hubbard is a great athlete, really productive third round pick, right? Jalen Holmes, versatile, can play outside, can play inside fourth round pick. It is really a really high bar to be a first round pick. So I did not put Tyreek as a first round pick because I just think if he really has a great year, I just maybe think he would wind up more like Sam Hubbard or Tyquan Lewis, which is not, I mean, which is great. You're the 58th pick in the draft. You're the 71st pick in the draft, whatever. Like, but just, just maybe not the way it's gone so far, just not a first round pick. And then I have Zach Harrison as a first round pick in 2023. And that is this, that is thinking that this might be a step up year for Zach Harrison without being a completely gigantic breakthrough year. And their family, the Harrison family, from what I was told was just like incredibly like pragmatic and thoughtful about the recruiting process and just in, just absolute, you know, charts on the wall, like the pros and cons. And, and they just are really thoughtful about all these things. And I am just envisioning a world where Zach Harrison has the kind of year where like, hey, he might be a first rounder if he goes and the idea of, listen, if you come back and it's going to be you on one side and Jack Sawyer on the other, and you are going to set the Big Ten on fire and you have a chance to be a top 10 pick. Like that's what's on the table for you. And I think this is where I will be curious for the next three years, four years, what the pandemic effect is on different things. I think this might be a pandemic effect that Zach Harrison is a third-year guy who had a screwed-up second year where he was good, right? He was good. He was good. We know that. But maybe in terms of a timeline of, like, leaping, being a top-10 pick, maybe it threw him off a little bit. So I have him as that. I just have him taking an extra year to get there. And maybe that's silly, and maybe that's crazy. But, Nathan, I don't know. Like, it's – you're trying to read people's futures. But I just – I mean, I see a scenario like that as being possible. Yeah, yeah, I think that's completely plausible, too, that maybe he has a junior season that's more like Chase Young's sophomore season. It just seems like a bridge to greatness more than the actual realization of greatness. I, I can hear that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And to this point, we had a question from the 336. Could Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith be the star defensive end duo we thought we'd have with Nick Bosa and Chase Young in 2018? Both were good last year, but both seem intent on being great this year. And Stephen, while I think that is possible, I think maybe the most likely scenario of two absolute monster defensive ends at the peak of their powers together at Ohio State is the 2022 season with fourth year Zach Harrison 
and second year Jack Sawyer. I think maybe that's where I think that would maybe more likely come into play, but I'm not, I mean, it could be possible this year too with Tyreek and Zach Harrison for all the things we just said. Yeah. I think I wrote something similar to that after the 2019 season about Tyreek and Zach, but that makes more sense actually, because Zach's a five-star top 10 player in the country. Who's back for a fourth year and ready to explode while with Jack, Jack and Zach, that's, that's going to get confusing. I mean, if there's any doubt, if Zach is unsure about whether he should come back for his senior year, I mean, just the rhyming, I mean, kind of puts yeah. it over the top. Jack, <laughs> the sack brothers, Jack and sack. Oh my God. The sack brothers. You, now you added, I, I didn't even think of the sack yeah. rhyme, the so, sack brothers, Jack and Zach. That's like a kid's cartoon. Zach Harrison and Zach Sawyer. I, I said that I, to Jack once and he kind of laughed. I don't know if he was laughing at me or with me, though. Hopefully with NIL, they could me. get some kind of a deal with a restaurant. You could have yeah. the Jack and Zach sack as like some kind of takeout deal. I want a cut of that. I'm going to I can't. I want to text Jack's dad. I just want the stuff. That, ideas. <laughs> I just want the stuff that's in the sack. You can take the money. I just want like a free burger. Wow. The sack sack from Jack and Zach at Sonic. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do like that. Well, I do like that idea though, because it just seems like Jack might actually be on that as a sophomore, he pops while with Zach, it might just take him the extra year that I, I do like that idea of where we see maybe Zach's got, Jesus, Zach's got maybe eight or nine sacks as a, as a senior while Jack goes for like seven or eight. And then Jack goes cr- completely crazy as a junior. I, I can see that. There is a line with this draft stuff and we're not, we're trying not to pretend that we're experts on the draft, but there is a thing of like, Hey, if like a lot of the time it's like, Hey, if you're a first round pick, you probably should go. Right. But there also is quite a difference between being the 23rd pick and being the sixth pick. And that's where I think Zach Harrison could find himself with like a decision about that. Chris Olave type of decision where he comes back and we're like, Oh, wow. We didn't think that was happening. And then when you really think about it for a second, take a step back, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think Zach Harrison has a better chance in the end of being a top 10 pick than Chris Olave does. But yes, yeah. that, 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 is, that is part of the decision-making process. The difference between first round and not first round is a big deal because it's like, you know, five years versus four years and just like the money involved. But also the difference between like top 10 and bottom of the first round is a big difference. And I do think it factors in to the decisions of guys. All right, so... We're kind of in the same territory where I don't I think we all think it's quite possible that Zach Harrison is a first round pick. But now we're sort of deciding maybe how it fits together. So let's go to the other two guys that the texter mentioned off the top, which was the offensive tackles. Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere. And I actually think it's two very kind of different conversations around those guys. Nathan, where's just your head about the idea of either of them as first round picks? They were, again, guys that were in that mix of of that cloud of guys that I was considering. I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before, though, a reminder of how exclusive first round status is and sort of just doing the math of like, well, how many could really go in one first round? And both in the case of both, it it, it is two different conversations. In the case that they are Munford, it was he was a little bit more of a diamond in the rough kind of guy. Not quite, maybe. Well, yeah, I guess you would say that. I think he was a diamond in the rough kind of guy who then kind of very rapidly showed that he had probably been a little bit overlooked and has been like this longtime contributor, but not to the extent he was last year where he had the real breakthrough. And then NPF where it was like the elite prospect who kind of took his time to realize it. So I, I, I still have some 
I still wonder if NPF being on the right side, if that's enough and, and Thayer Munford sticking around for the extra year, is that enough that they are like high second round guys instead of first round guys is basically just all it came down to for me. Do you view them similarly as draft prospects though? At this Not point? really. Not really. Who do you think is the better draft prospect? Yeah. It was okay for us to be wrong. We're, we are not drafted. Yeah, right. I, I, I think I agree with Steven that it's probably NPF just again for what being a little bit younger, having still a higher ceiling. I think he could. There's no reason why he couldn't then just move over and play left tackle in the NFL. I, I think it's 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 a completely plausible transition that he could make. And, and the other thing is, too, in the NFL is. The edge rushers, even though they're yeah. still the blind side for the quarterback, the edge rushers flip flop and stuff a lot. And that, you know, Miles Garrett moves all over the place for the Browns. Yeah. And so the difference is like you need if you have a great left tackle and a bad right tackle, they're going to put their best edge rusher over your right tackle and murder your quarterback anyway. So I, I, right tackles are good, still valuable. You're making a good point that if somebody thinks like, well, that's a Pro Bowl right tackle, who cares if he's not on the left side? We, we want a Pro Bowl right tackle. Um, let's go get him. I think that makes sense. Go ahead, Steven. Where do we think Thayer Munford would have been drafted this year had he come out? Just so, offhand. Not fourth round? Right. Why? I mean, he's a three-year starter. That's a lot of film and fourth round. Why do we think potentially 15 more games of the same thing is going to change that? We don't. I don't. Yeah. The texture did, which is fine. Right. That's why it's MPF. I think another 15 games of him starting. I mean, Wyatt Davis isn't going to be a first rounder, but some of that is because of the position he plays. He's an interior lineman. If Nicholas Petit Frere does that again as a tackle, he could slide up into the first round. I don't think there's more any more we can see from Thayer Munford plus the injury history. So here's the thing about Thayer Munford, and I feel a little bit about Thayer Munford the way I do about Pete Werner, I think, which is I know they're good. I know they're good. They are good college football players that help the Ohio State Buckeyes win. But how good are they? Like, how really, really good, like NFL level? Like, I don't know. And it's entirely possible that I'm completely wrong. And that, like, again, it's like, is Pete Warner a second round pick? I'm sorry. I just, I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Is Thayer Munford going to be like the 31st pick in the draft and go in the first round? And I'm going to be like, I thought he was a fourth rounder. Why do I think he's a fourth rounder? Because he was a lower rate of recruit. And it seems like he doesn't have maybe every physical tool of like an NPF, right? But here's the other thing. And I sent this out to the texters this week. Jason Oway from Penn State, who blew up Penn State's pro day, got eaten alive by Thayer Munford last year. Like, I remember going into that Penn State game in week two, and it was like Shaka Tony and Jason Oway. Like, this is real. This is real, Ohio State fans. Do not under- underestimate these Penn State defensive ends. And they did nothing. They did nothing. And it was the beginning of Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere giving up nothing the whole year. All the stats are out there. PFF just randomly texts them sometimes, right? Or tweets them. It was like, no penalties, no sacks. No pressures. They gave up nothing for the whole year. So as we're talking about, oh, you know, the Big Ten's a place that has good edge rushers and good tackles. If I'm telling you that Fair Munford is a left tackle in the Big Ten, and last year he gave up nothing. It's like, well, why isn't he a first-round pick? I don't know. Maybe I'm 
because I think he's his arms are two inches too short, or I don't know. What do I think it is? That guy, when you watched him, and I went, I I switch cable companies. I try to I record all the games, but then I switch cable companies and they lose I, I lose them. And like there's not a full Penn State Ohio State game out on the internet. So I was watching highlights. And there are just times where it's like Jason Oway just like gets a little pass rush, and then Thayer Munford just is perfect technique and he just puts up a wall. So I think Jason Oway is overrated, and I don't want the Browns to go anywhere near him. But like they handled their business, Nathan, in a league with a bunch of good dudes. So I think it's possible that I'm underestimating Thayer Munford for no reason, but I will tell you, I do not have Thayer Munford as a first round pick. Jack, Jack Muhort was a good left tackle at Penn state. He was a second at Ohio state. He was a second round pick and they moved him inside the NFL. Jamarco Jones was a good left tackle at Ohio state. He wasn't anywhere close to a first round pick, right? Taylor Decker was a first round pick. Taylor Decker was like next level elite. I think it's possible. I think in my head right now, I think of Nicholas Petit Frere a little bit could be Taylor Decker. I don't think Nicholas, like if Nicholas Petit Frere would have gone right now, I don't think he would have been a first round pick. I think sort of what Steven said, he has the potential, I think, to lay down a year this year that makes him look like a first round pick. I just think Thayer Munford may be a little more of what he is, which is second, third, fourth, maybe an NFL starter for sure. And Petit Frere might just be that elite, elite tackle guy who's got a shot. I feels like, Nathan, that's maybe where we kind of all are. And I think we're all there because we're assuming something that might absolutely be wrong. And maybe we'll be proven wrong this year. But they were both, the bottom line is they were both excellent last year against very good competition. Yeah, I think the point you bring up also was something that I had thought of was like maybe – do NFL teams look at him and say that's a starting lineman, but not necessarily a starting left tackle in the NFL? I think, yeah, that's I think it's possible. possible. And that was yeah. kind of in the back of my mind is why I maybe wouldn't put him as a, a sure first round talent, no matter how well he plays at left tackle for Ohio State this coming year. And then you start to read into some other things, too. Like, I believe he's sincere about wanting to finish his degree and all those things. But I also think if he had gotten a first round draft grade back this year, that might have been too much to pass up, and that might have played into the math that you do there of like, well, they're saying I'm going to be like third, fourth round. That probably won't change in a year, so what's the harm of coming back and getting my degree, finishing the – fulfilling these personal goals that mean a lot to him, then not feeling like you're passing something up that you shouldn't pass up. Jamarco Jones was a fifth-round pick. I mean, he was really solid. He was, and he was a highly rated recruit and was a very solid left tackle. Started for two years at Ohio State. Um, he was a fifth round pick. Jack Muhort was a second round pick. I just think Thayer might fall somewhere in between there and that NPF. But now here's my other thing. And maybe this is crazy. I feel a little more, a little crazier about this than I do about the Zach Harrison thing. I have Nicholas Petit Frere also as a first round pick in 2023. Like another year of like, again, he was really good last year, but it was a little bit of a goofy year. He's really good this year, right? He has just been trying to like get his body to the right size forever. Like, is he going to be all the way there with that? Cause I feel like with him last year was a transitional year of like your first time starter and you are very good. I don't know that he's exactly the full size. He wants to be as an NFL guy exactly right now. Maybe he is. So maybe he pops and is done, but I just left that open again of like, he is very good this year, but maybe he can help himself by coming back one more time 
and literally being like one of the three best tackles in college football. I don't know that he'll be that this year. On the other hand, I think it's possible that Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Fair were the two best tackles in the Big Ten last year. So then what am I doing? Why am I making him wait? I do think maybe that's silly. Maybe I just need to put Nicholas Petit Frere in 2022 as a first-round pick. I really do think he has a decent chance to be a first-round pick, though, Stephen. You think me waiting on him for 23 is crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy. I just think that so far, the 2023 draft class for Ohio State is loaded, according to Doug Maurice. Correct. <laughs> but no, I, I understand it I, because we know his, his, his battles with his body and you know, trying to put on weight. I, I, I get it. Him wanting to spend one more year showing it off, maybe getting up another four or five, getting to the way he actually wants to be at for an NFL level offensive tackle. I, I understand it. I, I can hear the argument. But also, yeah, there's going to be seven first-round draft picks from Ohio State in 2023. He's at 315, according to the spring roster. You know, Rashawn Slater, who Mm -hmm. Dane Brugler has on his board as the number 11 overall player, the number two tackle out of Northwestern, he has him at 6'4", 302. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm waiting on something that I don't need to be waiting on. And then the other thing, like Jalen Mayfield is another guy, um, is a Michigan guy who – Again, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't mean this. Michigan has good players. Michigan doesn't have as many good players as Ohio State, but Michigan has good players. But it's like if Jalen Mayfield can be a borderline first-round pick, then, like, why can't Thayer Munford be a borderline first-round pick? You know what I mean? And why, why am I making um, Nicholas petit Frere come back for another year? So, I don't know. I just I, – I might be off the deep end on that. Um, okay. I want to ask about Jalen Mayfield – Six five three twenty. Dane Brugler has him. I guess he's a he was a right tackle in college. Listen to this. Tell me if this sounds like maybe Thayer Munford. Listen, I don't promote the athletic a ton on here. We know Ari and Bill are awesome. Dane Brugler is, is just excellent. I just Dane is really really good. Jalen Mayfield, and he's a great guy. Number forty seven. He has him as a number four guard. Six five three twenty out of Michigan. A college right tackle. Mayfield doesn't have elite length which will move him inside to guard on many draft boards. Regardless if he plays tackle or guard, he is a balanced mover with the power to collapse the line and create holes for the run game. That's the 47 overall player in this draft. I'm not so sure you couldn't like cut and paste that and slap it under Thayer Munford a year from now. And that's why I thought Paris Johnson would be playing left tackle and they would move Thayer Munford inside to just get it on film. And also Paris Johnson's going to be awesome. Which we're on alert for. Like we we asked and Ryan Day said, no, not right now, but we're on alert for that. But the other thing is, I just don't know. I think most of the time, if you do all the hard stuff at tackle, they're pretty convinced you could do it at guard in the NFL, even if they haven't seen it. They assume it. Um, Okay. There's a couple other guys. So there's two other guys that I want to talk about for 2022 as first round picks, just to see if it was on anybody's radar. Nathan, Haskell Garrett, Jeremy Ruckert cross your mind at all. They both clearly will be picked in the 2022 draft and the idea of them as first round possibilities. Ruckert was the one that sort of popped into my head a little bit. I need to, and it, as we've discussed many times, I need to see that Ohio state will maybe showcase him in the way that might be necessary for teams to believe he's a, he would kind of probably need to be considered the top tight end talent almost. Like, I think it, it's not crazy for tight ends to go in the first round, but it's usually guys who have shown themselves to be big time playmakers in an offense. 
And will he get that kind of opportunity? I, I don't know. I think he'll have – I have every expectation that he'll be a solid NFL player. Can he get into the first round in Ohio State's offense? I think that's a worthwhile question to ask. So I do think we have a decent comparison and just because we've seen him. So he's not Kyle Pitts. Nobody's Kyle Pitts. The number two tight end on Dane Brugler's board for this draft right now is Pat Frymuth mm-hmm. from Penn State. Mm-hmm who he has as the number 51 overall player. If you said to me, can Jeremy Ruckert a year from now be a better draft prospect from Pat Fryer than Pat Frymuth? I certainly think it's possible. I mean, I don't, you know, Pat Frymuth is good. I don't know that I ever saw anything from him that I thought like, wow, that's uh, you know, and Penn state's had some good tight ends. Mike Gusecki was a really good tight end at Penn state and was a decently high pick and whatever. So I think it's really hard to get into the first round. He's not Kyle Pitts. But is he between Kyle Pitts and Pratt Fr- Pat Frymuth? And like, could Ruckert be like, yeah, the team picking 31 is like, we really like this guy. He, he really showed he can block. He has really good hands. He's a mismatch. Not impossible. I wouldn't pick it right now. But Steven, like, I don't know. I think Pat Frymuth is an interesting conversation for Ruckert. He's talented enough to go at 30 to 32, 100% to one of those teams who's competing for a Super Bowl and maybe they just need a tight end. Um, but at the same time, uh, Pat Fryermuth makes sense, but also in a normal year, Pat had 43 catches, for 507 yards. Jeremy Ruckert's never going to have that. And so it will take a team really studying Ohio State's practice film and just believing that that translates onto the field. Which they do. Which, yeah, they do. It, which typically does, 100%. And it typically does translate onto the field. I just think it's safer just because of the offense he's in. Ohio State's offense is going to push him up into the second round. Maybe he's the first. He's the 33rd, the 36th pick. I, I, I just don't see it as a first rounder just based off how his usage is at Ohio State. Jeff I will Hire- say this. I just want to say real quick, like anytime they ever throw a pass to Jeremy Rucker, like there's never a time where you think, oh, they're trying to do something with him that he can't do as a receiver. Like yeah. that never happens. It, he many times there have been passes thrown where you're like, oh, thank God it was Jeremy Ruckert out there for Ohio State because other tight ends wouldn't have caught that pass. So I think those things can impact this as well. Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette underused tight ends at Ohio State, both third round picks, both top hundred picks. I think Jeremy Ruckert very well could be a top hundred player, but that's that's more third round. Maybe getting into the second. I just think it's hard for him to get into the first. Haskell Garrett, he's an All-American. But Tommy Togiai is not going to go in the first round. I know they're very different players. Togiai's a nose. Garrett's a three-tech. You know, Davon Hamilton was like a really good player at Ohio State his last year. Third-round pick and really good rookie year in the NFL, too. But that's just where I am with that. I, I, I don't know what a first-round jump, Nathan, would look like for Haskell Garrett, but I thought it was worth throwing his name out there. I mean, he was – he was a very strong player this past year. And I think that there's room for growth actually just considering how his off season went and how his in season went. I mean, it's just, everything was just so fouled up last year, but I, to me, like first round defensive tackle, you're talking about that like combination of like kind of insane physical specimen with just sort of dominating a game. And now I would, I do think though, that one thing that will, as far as his draft stock that could help him this year is he doesn't have Togiai next to him. So if he really goes out and has like another fantastic season and shows something and it does, and you don't have that kind of nose tackle next to you necessarily, that maybe Ohio state takes a little bit of a dip in talent at that position, then maybe that allows him to stand out and improve himself as a draft prospect even more. Mid second round, a third round pick. 
Draymond Jones was a third rounder, 71 overall. I thought Draymond Jones was a really good player at Ohio State. Draymond Jones was their best defensive lineman in 2018 once Nick Bosa got hurt and Chase wasn't quite himself, right? And that was a third round pick. And I thought as good as Haskell Garrett was, listen, Draymond Jones wasn't an All-American or anything, but he just had a little bit of a a different skill set, I think, than Haskell Garrett. Again, I think I think third round is is maybe pushing to the second as Stevenson, I think is the right, but it was worth talking about Haskell Garrett. I just don't think he has the if if you're a defensive tackle, you has gotta be a monster. I mean, first round defensive tackles are monsters. I, I think it's good to have these conversations to recalibrate a little bit because when guys are coming into college and they're like a top seventy-five prospect, we think of them as like being like really elite, like that's a man that's like top 75. There's only so many of those guys out there. And then when they're coming out of college and we're talking about, Oh, they're only going to be like a third round pick. Like they're only going to go 75 in the NFL draft. And it kind of seems like a letdown of some kind. I'm like, no man, that's still, we got to remember how impressive that still is. It's unless it's a quarterback or even a, a, if it's not a quarterback, a tackle, a corner or a defensive end, it's better to talk about where they're drafted in comparison to other guys at their position. Yeah, yeah, because again, sometimes the difference of did you go twenty eight or did you go forty five is need is depth in yeah. your position that year that kind of stuff. All right, let's do what we came to do, which is how many first round picks. Oh well, so I, I didn't do this. Let, let me do this because Nathan, you mentioned this, and I said we would do this. Twenty twenty two overall picks. Did you come up? Did you guys come up with a number with how many guys you think will be picked overall for Ohio State in the twenty twenty two draft? And again, we're jumping ahead. We're going to cover some of the 2021 draft um, here in a little bit. We're just not doing that right now. I will tell you in recent years, am I looking at this right? No, I think I'm not looking at this right. So Nathan, just go ahead. How many, how many picks do you think they'll have in the 2022 draft? I came up with 12 names and maybe even 13. And right. it seemed, and, and it was hard to talk myself out. It, there's a couple guys on the borderline, but I think right, right around a dozen. Okay. Um, Steven, did you do that same exercise? Did you come up with overall 2022 picks? I did. And I said 11 that I'm 100% sure about. Okay. Um, let's look for comparison's sake. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Okay. I did have the right list. So that's a lot. Even, I mean, at a place like Ohio State, which produces draft people like crazy, in the urban era, 2014, they had six picks. This is before urban's classes started hitting. 2015, they had five picks. 2016, 12. 2017, seven. 2018, seven. 2019, nine. 2020, 10. So it is really good to have 10 guys drafted. (laughs) brilliant analysis but that's what we're talking about right that's what we think we're talking about for 2022 so nathan let's you use your list i did not make a full list like this but let's use your list nathan and we'll run through the guys you have and then we'll double check did steven have anybody you didn't and we'll give yes or no if we're guessing and we'll come up with our official buckeye talk list of how many picks they will have in the 2022 nfl draft all right nathan go ahead and, and this is all seven rounds. So it's, it's all the people we've talked about before. Olave Wilson, Munford, NPF, Ruckert, Harrison, Smith, Garrett. And then the other people that I had on my list were Taraja Mitchell, mm-hmm. Seven Banks, Josh Proctor, 
And then the, the borderline guys for me, but I see how it could happen is I'm thinking of people like, like Jay Sean Cornell or some of the guys who are going to be in the mix this year, someone like Antoine Jackson and someone like Tyler Friday potentially being, and when, again, all seven rounds, I think someone like Tyler Friday might be able to get in there. Can I ask you about a crazy one? And I'm curious if this was on Steven's list at all. Master Teague Mm. going, realizing that I'm maybe the, not the guy here, not that you're, but like, I may as well go now, even though I'm good, my carries may go down. The guy ran a four, three, five. According to Ohio State. We, we don't think he could go in the sixth round. I don't know. Um, Okay. So I, I, I I did, I did think about that. Where was Mike Weber? I think he was a seventh round pick. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't have him on my list, but uh, that's what – if he is drafted, that's where I look at it. That's a Same good comparison. Though. Yeah. That's a good comparison. All right. Was there anybody, Stephen, that you had that Nathan did not mention? No, I think we, for the most part, same with, yeah, Alave, Wilson, Petit, Fred, Harrison, Mitchell, which I was I was interested in whether I was going to be the only one with him on my list or not. Smith, Garrett, Rucker, Banks, Proctor, Jackson. Okay. So Alave, Wilson, NPF. Rucker, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Haskell Garrett. One, two, three, four, five. Those are seven guys that are all practically guaranteed to be NFL draft picks. The only reason I don't have Munford. Oh, I drew the line the wrong place. And Munford. That's eight guys guaranteed to be picks. The only dispute would be of my theory of do guys stick around for another year, Harrison or NPF or both. I think seven banks is not a sure thing, but I would be very surprised if a year from now, seven yeah. banks didn't have the kind of year to be like a fifth round pick or a sixth mm-hmm. round pick. Right. That now right. on the other hand, Kendall Sheffield was a fourth round pick out of here as a full-time starter who is like very good in the NFL. Like he's like a starter in the NFL. And so I also don't, it's not like I it's, we'll go back and forth. Nathan, right. You made a very good point. Sometimes it's like, ah, only a third round pick. But on the other hand, you have to be like, Kendall Sheffield was a fourth-round pick. That's really good. When you get picked in the fourth round, they're relying on you to do something, and he's done something in his NFL career. Kendall Sheffield was pretty stinking good here. Like, am I sure that seven banks will be as good as Kendall Sheffield? I'm not sure of that. I don't think that's – that's a decently high bar. You know, I, and that's not even – I don't – I really don't think that seven banks is going to be Marshawn Lattimore or Denzel Ward or Jeff Okuda, right? That's, and that's not a slam. I'm not sure he's going to be Kendall Sheffield. So it's not a guarantee. Duran Grant was a good player here, right? He was a national championship player here. He was a fourth round pick. Like, do I think seven banks could be as good as Duran Grant? I do. I do think that's possible, right? Duran was like a, like a really good leader, a really important part of that team. Maybe not quite elite skill set as some of the first round guys they've had. But I would feel pretty good about seven banks right now. Like if, if we have a top eight that's practically a lock, Nathan, you feel pretty good about seven banks? Yeah. Just I mean, I think he had even kind of an underrated season last year. I think people were so focused on what Sean Wade was doing week to week that a lot of weeks, because nothing like nothing good or bad was like standing out about seven banks that I feel like people just kind of us too. I think he got a little bit overlooked. I think he had a really solid year and I think that's something he can build on going into this season. I actually think he might, 
he might be more of a sure thing. I think that's how we're talking about this, right? He's more of a sure thing than Josh Proctor is, right? And I don't think people would have said that a year ago. What do you think, Stephen? Do you think who is if if we were if we had Tishu placing bets, who would have better odds of being picked in the 2022 NFL draft? Seven Banks or Josh Proctor? I think Josh might have better odds still, but I think Nathan is right that just because he's the better prospect in it for an NFL team. And I think he just might go crazy at a pro day or a combine that just in teams fall in love with him. But I am I do agree with Nathan that Seven Banks has been better and is has been a better player so far. But how do we feel about Proctor as a guy? Like, do we feel pretty certain that Josh Proctor is going to get picked in the NFL draft yeah. when he leaves here? Yeah, I, I, but I, I think the range of where he can go between second round and sixth round is just so wide open. While with seven, it's probably he's a fourth round pick. He's a fourth round pick. He's a fourth round pick. I think I probably generally agree with that assessment. Nathan, do you feel pretty good that Josh Proctor is almost certainly going to be picked when he leaves here? I think so. I guess the one thing that gives me some pause is how, in retrospect, how valuable we saw and reliable and maybe a little bit underrated Jordan Fuller was, and he had to really wait to get to hear his name. So I I think I would – my assumption right now is that unless Proctor comes back and has a stronger season that he might be – not in that mid-round conversation that we were talking about a late conversation, but that just because of what we know about him as an athlete and a, a potential playmaker, I, I think he would get the benefit of the doubt of at least getting drafted. Yeah. He also might not be a free safety in the NFL, just like Sean Wade is in the cornerback in the NFL. And I think right. that teams will under, he's probably a strong safety in, in our system. And that that's how they'll view him. And when he was in that role, he was actually pretty good. So I do think this seems right that I think if you include banks in that top group and you get to nine guys that you're like, "Ah, I'm like practically 95% sure on those nine guys that they'll be picked. Then between Proctor, which seems pretty likely Antoine Jackson, Tyler Friday, and I would throw master Teague in there as a possibility. It feels like they would get, they'll get to double digits in the 2022 NFL draft, which again, you know, they didn't get their, between they didn't get there in 17, 18, or 19. They didn't have double digit draft guys. They had 12 in 2016 and they had 10 in 2020. And as we'll talk about in the second half of the pod, I think they might get there in this draft, but I don't know that it's a certainty. I'm, it's not a certainty. They might get there though, but it's a pretty good group, Nathan. I think, I think we're looking yeah. at a pretty good group for the 2022 draft. But three or four of these guys would be getting drafted this year if not for decisions to come back. Um, and, and in a couple of these cases, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, it's a decision that they were only able to make under these specific circumstances. Mm-hmm. So that, that when I, when I got to 12, I was like, boy, that seems a little bit high. And then I had to remind myself, well, but now take out the guys who in any other circumstance would be getting drafted next month, not having to wait another year for it. That's a good point. And then it also brings in, again, if you want to bring in the, well, NPF or Zach Harrison or guys who maybe would stick around, which again, I think, I think if that did happen, I do think it would be at least some percentage pandemic related. Like if, if Zach Harrison has an announcement and says, I'm staying for my senior year. I think in that announcement after the 2021 season, he might say something like, I really felt good about how I helped the team and what we did in 2021, but I feel like 
you know, my sophomore year wasn't everything. I want one more full year of what I can do and show, you know, that it would be some little bit of that. So now let's get to the thing that is the most fun of this. So did you guys break up your other players by draft year? So like you have how many first rounders they think they'll have in 23, 24 and 25 off this roster, or do you just have your overall number? This is how many first rounders I think are on this roster. I had just like the, I had a list of who I think was going to get drafted in 2022, the first rounders from that year. And then I just grouped everybody else together as who I think is going to get drafted as first rounders. Okay. That's fine. Cause it's, I mean, it's whether a guy stays for three or four yeah. or whatever. So, okay. So let's do this. Let's give the numbers first. And again, knowing, as we said, that like they had 12 in 2015, which is the highest number by my count in this modern era, the number of first rounders on a roster at one time. Steven, what is your number of how many first rounders you think are on the roster right now? 14. 14. It's a lot of talent. Ridiculously crazy but they're recruiting at a high level right now. So it's a lot of talent. And, and some of this is just, it, it's a podcast. It's fun. Yeah. But it's like, we're projecting first round stuff on guys who are literally not even on campus yet, who are freshmen who are not even here. Oh yeah. I've, I've got two guys on my list who are not early enrollees. Yeah, me too. So like, I get it, but like, that's what we're doing because it's a podcast and we're allowed to do crazy things. Nathan, what's your number? And you, I'm curious if it's going to be higher or lower than 14. I got to 11. I think that is probably low though. And it, cause it doesn't yet, there, there's going to be someone who's on the Damon Arnett slash Thayer Munford slash whatever plan that we're, there's somebody who we're probably not even going to mention today who ends up being a first round pick in these next three, four years. Cause that's just part of it, but it's yeah. very hard to project that. It is. How do I say this? Yeah. I mean like Malik Hooker was not a, he was like a was not a big time recruit. He was a three star recruit who was a one year starter and gone. So yeah, it, it is hard. But also a lot of them you did see coming. Like if we were doing this exercise before Chase Young stepped on campus, we would have been like, I don't know, Chase Young. Right. And we would have been like Jeff Okuda. And we would have been, you know, so I mean, like I'd say more off there are more that you see coming three years away than there are out of nowhere surprises. So that's why, like, I don't think we're going to be crazy off on this. And Nathan, make a note to uh, four years from now, go back and find this podcast um, and see what we said. I have 12. So I'm in between you two guys. Um, so let's uh, let's go through. them. OK. Chris Olave is one of them, correct for everybody? Yeah. All right. We already covered that. We don't have to cover that now. Garrett is one of them for everybody, correct? Yeah. Yes. Nicholas Petit Frere, is he one of them for everybody? I did not have him on my he's I have a list of maybes, and he's on the maybes. Steven, did you have him on your list? I did. All right. So that's two of us have Nicholas Petit Frere. Zach Harrison. Did everybody have Zach Harrison? Yes. All right. I had Zach Harrison, so that's four. Okay. In the 2023 NFL draft, coming out after his junior season, do we all have Paris Johnson as a first-round pick yeah. in 2023? Yeah. I, I don't so much care that it's 23, but he's on the list, yes. Okay. I have 
I have Harrison and NPF both in 23. I also have Paris Johnson in 23. There's one more guy that I have in 2023. And Steven, did, uh, you guys didn't do it by year, so I'll, I'll just say. No. Here's my other guy in 2023, and it's Jackson Smith Najigba. Yeah. Based on the idea of he has a role in the 2021 season, and then it, in his junior year in 2022, he has like 400 catches because he's the number one receiver for the team in because the that's, that's where he tracks right now. And that that is like the path he's on. And it doesn't mean that Julian Fleming and G Scott and all these other guys behind him, Jaden Ballard, and everybody else aren't going to be great, but I am envisioning Jackson Smith, Najigba leading the team in receiving in 2022 and going and being a first round pick. So that specificity to that, Nathan, does that sound, first of all, do we all have Jackson Smith, the Jigba as a first round pick? Mm-hmm. I did, and I also was thinking it will be after his third year. All right, so Nate, so Stephen, do you sort of agree with that path as well? Yeah, uh, he's in the slot. He's going to lead the team of receptions that year. Yeah, he's the one clearly on that path from the outside looking in. Okay, those are the four guys I have in twenty three. I am now, and we are going to have a thing, a little bit of a discussion here because there's some guys that I don't have on this list that I'm very curious to see how you guys address this. 2024, leaving as a junior, as the focal point of the offense, Travion Henderson, a first-round pick in 2024, coming out after playing a lot in 2021, clearly being the starter in 2022 and 2023. I have him as a first-round pick. Steven, do you agree with that? Yep. Nathan? Me too. Yep. And that general thing, like a three-year guy. Uh, Another three-year guy from this incoming freshman class, Jack Sawyer. He is the latest on the defensive end track. He's a three-year guy. He will be a first-round pick in 2024. All right, we all agree with that. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's eight guys so far. This is where it gets a little interesting because we are trying to figure out how guys fit in, and we are really starting to project here. 2024, another guy that I have in there, and this is might be a little bit of a wild hair. I don't know if you guys have him or not. He would be coming out after his fourth season, fourth season of eligibility, but only his third year of playing. As a guy who fits the modern game, and people have high hopes for it, I have Court Williams as a first-round pick, as a hybrid Whatever he is, like outside linebacker, safety, cover, hit, tackle, lead, I have Court Williams as a first-round pick just based on the way people talk about him here. Do you guys have Court Williams? I do not have him as a first-round pick, no. I I don't either because I don't know what that position is in the NFL. Oh, it's the position they're all dying for. It's like nickel is the base. It's a safety linebacker. I mean, it's, I think it, you know, it's it's, okay. Uh, You would know more because you obviously covered it. I don't. Okay. It fits. I think he fits. I think, I I think the reason, the reason they have these positions in college now is because sort of the NFL NFL. has gone that way. So, Okay. okay. I thought that that might be the case. Um, 
2024, another guy who is a guy who is not on campus yet that I have as a three year and gone guy. And Steven, I think you have this guy is Jacqueline Johnson. Oh, yeah. I was wondering which one of the two corners you were going to pick when you said so do I. So go ahead on Jacqueline Johnson. Why this is a reasonable projection. He is on that plan. He is. I mean, he was a top 50 recruit, borderline five star recruit, the number three cornerback in the country. And he is coming here with the understanding that he is on the Jeff Okuda plan. He's going to he just didn't early enroll because I mean, he just didn't want to. Uh, it, it was a lot it was a family decision to just let, let him stay home. But the idea is he's on special teams and maybe in a package as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, he's a starter or at least in a rotation, whatever that looks like for the corners. He's in it. And then as a junior, he's the number one cornerback. And then he's a first round draft pick. That's the type of plan that they were talking to him about being on when he got here. And that's his understanding. um, Basically, since he was a sophomore in high school, that that's what he wanted to do at the college level. Nathan, did you have Ja'Kalen Johnson as one of your first round guys? So on on that maybe list I was talking about, I have some DB question mark. Because I think I I just don't know. He's, He's obviously, I think, the most likely one to emerge from that group um, just because of his pedigree. Because when you start looking at some of the other guys that we think are going to emerge and be good defensive backs for this team, um, not necessarily that like still super high end um, recruiting ranking type player, right? Like, I mean, like Ryan Watts, even Lathan Ransom and Legend Cavazos, like solid, but not like uh, top tier. And so I, Johnson is probably the one if you're projecting it out as far as a first round guy. I think all those guys are probably professional football players or have that chance. But as far as first round guys, he probably is the one that's most likely. I just didn't put him in that. I didn't have him on the list. A couple of things. One, some DB is the most Nathan Baird answer that you could give during an exercise like this. It's that's amazing. But I do think you're right. The guy where if you just look at him right now and go, that's a top 10 draft pick. That's Jaheim Singletary in the 2022 recruiting class because his arms are – he's probably got like a seven-foot wingspan and he's 6'1", 170. But Jacqueline Johnson, he's kind of technically advanced in a way that maybe Jordan Hancock and some of these other DBs who are coming in over the last two classes aren't. And, to, I mean, to be fair, you know, if we were doing this exercise three years ago, we would have been saying Tyreek Johnson, you know. Yeah. And it's like – so, of course, we're going to miss on some of these. But we are going by recruiting rankings. Another guy who has not played in this class that I have on the three-year plan is Emeka Egbuka. Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, did you have him? I did, and he is the third wideout that I have on this list. Um, yeah, I, I think the slot guys at Ohio State might just be – we might just be able – whoever plays in the slot at Ohio State from here on out will be a first-rounder just because if they're playing in the slot, they probably have the ability to move outside as well. Nathan, did you have him? I did, yes. And then the last guy that I had, my 12th guy, is another member of this freshman class who is not here yet, but I have him on a four-year plan, not a three-year plan, and that's Donovan Jackson at Card. I agree. You had him, Stephen. Nathan, did you have him? I did, yeah, absolutely. All right. That's my 12. And you may notice that I do not have a current quarterback on my list of first-round picks. And the reason that I don't have a quarterback on my list is that it's hard to go in the first round. I'm not saying these quarterbacks aren't good. I just think it's possible that like Quinn Ewers shows up and like throws off some of the draft stuff for these guys that like 
the winner this year. Like if you believe CJ Stroud's going to win it and be the quarterback in 21 and 22, be a first round pick and go Quinn Ewers backs him up in 22 and Quinn Ewers takes over as a starter in 23. That is the smooth, easy thing. And I get it. Then you have CJ Stroud as a first round pick. That's like the, you know, like that's like sort of like a Justin Fields plan. It's like, Hey, you're kind of have a first year, whatever. And then you start in year two, start in year three and go. That is just, I know it's like sort of easy to fall into that. That is really hard to do. So I didn't assume it. I didn't assume it to the point where I put CJ Stroud on my list. And I just don't know. I like if Quinn Ewers was here right now, if he was going to be on the roster in 2021, I would have Quinn Ewers on the list, but he's not here yet. So they're not in my 12. Nathan, how did you address the quarterbacks on this, on this possible list? So I got a couple of things. And I think where I was thinking about this a different way than you did. Yes. The arrival of Quinn Ewers can throw things off in this room. As far as who ends up being Ohio state's quarterback. I don't know that it necessarily has to derail the draft trajectory for either of these guys who are going to be here. And, you know, it didn't really throw off Joe Burrow's draft trajectory that he lost that job to, to Dwayne Haskins. That's obviously very, very special circumstances. And I'm not trying to say either of these guys will be Joe Burrow. But the other thing I will say too, is yes, it's difficult for anybody to get drafted in the first round, but quarterback is the position where it, even in a, if in a vacuum, you wouldn't necessarily have a first round grade. You can sometimes get pulled into the first round because quarterbacks are at such a premium and you can, I think that's the position where you can get overdrafted a little bit. It's easier to get yeah. overdrafted at quarterback than another position. So just based on what these guys have done to their careers at this point, to have this kind of ranking and expectation and the fact that they're being um, under now to the tutelage of Ryan day, who is developing a reputation for this sort of thing. I mean, I, I think that the odds are, are pretty strong that both of these guys I don't know what school they'll be at, both of them, when they get done and they're ready to go off to the draft. I don't know where they'll be doing their pro day. But I uh, right now, if I'm picking first-round picks, future first-round picks on this roster, I put Stroud and McCord both on that list. Speaking of Ohio State quarterbacks, Justin Fields just ran his 40, 4-4-4. And Tommy Togiai, 40 reps on the bench. So not quite the 50-rep record that he wanted, but that's what's happening right now at the Woody while we're doing this, talking about draft stuff. 40 is actually still a really strong number. He's going to be I mean, at that record, but 40 is good. Yeah, it's about 30 more than I could do. <laughs> Maybe even more. I, I, I think, to Nathan's point, I think Ohio State's quarterback is going to be a first-round draft pick from here going out. That's the uh, assumption I'm making. Um, and then I think that because of how this room is, the talent you're going to put in it, the fact that you're developing these guys, even if it is just for a spring, maybe a full uh, calendar year, I think whoever is second place in that job ends up being a first rounder somewhere else. Not Joe Burrow level where they're the number one pick and all this stuff, but they're just among the first round quarterbacks. And so because of that, I've picked CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord on my list. I'm not going to give away which one I think will do it as an Ohio state quarterback and which one will do it elsewhere. I just think both of what those. What do you mean guys- you're not going to give it away? What are you saving it for? Because I'm, you- we're, we haven't had that podcast yet where we're picking who we think might win the job. Yeah, I just, we did. Nathan said he thought it was going to be McCord. We thought it I was pick crazy. CJ? Oh, then I might I'll pick CJ then. Then fine. CJ Stroud's going to do it as an Ohio State quarterback. Kyle McCord might do it somewhere else. All right. I, I did not give enough consideration to the they leave and do it somewhere else. But I'm counting Burrow 
on for yeah. the you know for these. So like that's a I didn't think of it that way, but I that's correct. I, I should at least have one quarterback leaving open that possibility. So um okay, so that's that's up to 14. Nathan, is there anybody else on your list that you had of your 11 that has not been mentioned yet? Um, the only guy that I was thinking, I, 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 I'm really curious what happens with Julian Fleming. That was my 14. Now that he gets kind of unlocked a little bit and it's probably, it, it's going to have to be kind of a breakthrough probably in 2022, but I don't discount that from a combination of opportunity and the, the three years of development that that really just goes off in a big way um, when when there's no Olave and Wilson anymore. I think it, it, it gets complicated, though, because Jackson Smith and Jigba will still be here. We all think as highly as we do of Mecca Ibuka. So how much opportunity is for three guys to prove themselves as, as first round guys? Maybe it doesn't happen again even until that next year if Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mecca Ibuka both move. Actually, Ibuka would still be here that, that fourth year, I guess. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's... I still think that's out there for him. I wasn't ready to mark it down as like a sure thing, but he's like next on my list of guys that I think are are right there. I think he benefits from the Terry McLaurin scenario where it wasn't a first round pick, but yeah, right, right. But just he's because of what Terry McLaurin is doing. His stats aren't necessarily there throughout his career, but they just kind of chalk it up to, I mean, look at that room. Look at it. It's crazy. And there's a flyer pick on him where maybe he had his junior year. He goes crazy, just like Terry McLaurin went crazy his last year. And that's enough. So I do think, you know, that year in the, in the 19 draft um, with when they were throwing the ball in 18, Dwayne was throwing it to Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, Paris Campbell was a second round pick. Terry McLaurin was a third round pick. And Johnny Dixon with his knees just kind of wasn't ever considered the same way. But I do think, I I think it's reasonable as they run these crazy receiver classes through to sort of think like one guy in each class will be a first round pick, you know, maybe, but like, and then other guys will get picked, but it's just as it gets to be the point a little bit of like, well, they're going to take away from each other to some degree. So it's like, well, if I have Smith Najigba as the first rounder now, based on what he did as a freshman. Maybe that's not fair, but then, okay. Now, Julian Fleming, you know what Smith the Jigba's role might be this year. Well, what's Julian Fleming's role this year? What's a little more uncertain. So now it's year three. Is he going to be a third-year pop-and-go guy? I don't know. Um, It is. It's hard. I mean, maybe Julian Fleming is middle, second-round pick and is like Michael Thomas. You know, that's one of these things. It's like Ohio State in – 2015 had 12 first round picks on the roster. And like Michael Thomas wasn't one of them because the NFL screwed that up and didn't take him in the first round when he had everything that you would want in a first round receiver. So overall that is 15 different guys that we named Steven. Is there anybody else you had 14 overall was Fleming the last guy, everybody else we covered. Yeah. Fleming's last guy for me. So that is the, the, so it's basically Steven's 14. Plus my court Williams pick is how we have the 15 guys that that's, that's the max. And then the rest of what I had and the rest of what Nathan had is taking care, taken care of within that. That's a lot of dudes, but Steven, this doesn't, this conversation doesn't make me feel like a crazy person, right? I mean, we're doing some projection based on five-star recruits, but that's the name of the game. And this, 
as much as that, that is a lot of names that we have brought up. We brought up 15 names. I, I thought, I don't know that we super stretched for anybody. Nobody said Harry Miller, right? Who's going to be like, well, I don't know. I mean, he had, he started as a second year guy. Maybe he'll be, you know, nobody said, I don't know. We can list who nobody said. Nobody said Mike Hall, right? Who, what if Mike Hall's the next defensive tackle? Nobody said Cody Simon, who, what if he, what if they start getting this running back, this linebacker, not running back, this linebacker thing going again, right? Nobody, nobody said Jansen Dunn because they really think he's going to be, you know, like, I don't think we went crazy with this, Steven. And we fam- we came up with kind of 15 reasonable names. We named a bunch of top 50 recruits and we named guys at positions that typically go in the first round, quarterbacks, wide receivers, tackles, and out, outside of Travion Henderson, but that, well, running backs go in the first round, often near the end of the first round, like we might see with Najee Harris this year. So, they play, and then two of these guys are no brainers. We know are going to be that. So if we want to toss those guys off the list for the sake of who we're actually discussing, we go down to thirteen, and they all have reasonable cases. Even the Court Williams case, just because that's where things are headed. Yeah, I, I, I think it, Nathan is as as weird as it is. It also seems you know nobody said Nathan Ransom. What if that guy pops as like a you know safety corner guy? Nobody said Legend Cabazos. You know we we kind of played it safe a little bit nathan to your point you had like some db we, we didn't wind up saying a million dbs here but mm-hmm. the way they have started again revamped the db recruiting it certainly could wind up being more than what we've talked about did this feel kind of normal to you even though are the 15 guys we mentioned that's a lot of guys yeah no i, I it is, did still feel pretty normal to me and i think steven makes a good point in that you look down i mean just even the guys what i said i had 11 basically maybe 12 like it it is all those positions that you expect to be highly coveted in the NFL draft, the exceptions being Henderson, who we think might be, and and Donovan Jackson, who we think might be so elite at their positions that they're kind of the exception that proves the rule, right? That they're in that category of like, well, you can't pass up a running back that good. You can't pass up an interior offensive lineman that good. Like they just might be in that conversation, but everybody else it's, it's they're guys who are elite guys at the most drafted NFL draft positions. All right, that's the future. When we come back, we'll talk about Ohio State's Pro Day. And this isn't going to be like our entire 2021 NFL draft conversation. We're going to talk about what we learned from Pro Day, how guys did, a lot of guys working out. We'll cover that next on the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back several hours later. Pro Day is over. Doug Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Everybody talked. I did not get on it, but Nathan and Steven were on like practically every Buckeye who took part in pro day, then hopped on a zoom, which is more productive than a lot of pro days are. So shout out to Ohio state for making that happen. And we're going to dive into sort of the news of the day. What was learned? Who had good days? We're going to get it. We'll do more draft stuff. We will do a pod closer to the end of April before the draft, where we're predicting where guys go. So we want to talk about what was learned, but I want, I need to add something here because I made a mistake in the podcast on Tuesday. That is one of the bigger mistakes that I've made in Buckeye talk history. Seven years in, I totally biffed like the Alabama quarterback situation and and talking about comparisons and stuff. I said that Jalen hurts like led Alabama to the national title as a freshman in 2015. And that was totally wrong. And a texter pointed it out to me. That was Jake Coker as like a transfer from Florida state who won that job. And then Jalen hurts was the quarterback the next year in 2016, when Alabama got to the national title game and lost to Deshaun Watson. 
So Jalen Hurts did not lead Alabama to a national title game as a freshman. I mean, to a national championship as a freshman. He did lead him to a national title game, so we can still draw some things from Jalen Hurts. But Jake Coker was like your run-of-the-mill fifth-year dude who could not beat out Blake Sims in 2014 and then won the job as a fifth-year guy in 2015 and led them to the national title. He was next in the line of like average to below average Alabama quarterbacks that win national titles. So I just had that wrong when I wrote it down and I totally remembered it wrong. So Hertz freshman year leads Alabama to the national title game. They lose to Clemson sophomore year. He leads them to the national title game. Then he gets replaced by Tua at halftime of the sophomore year, junior year. He backs up to a senior year. He goes to Oklahoma. So thank you to the Texas for pointing that out. And I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't make large factual errors. Listen, my opinion is worthless, literally practically worthless, but you know that you should be able to count on my facts and who a quarterback was in a season. So I really apologize for that. I just goofed it up. So sorry. Let's talk pro day. Nathan. Justin Fields, Baron Browning, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Pete Werner, Sean. I guess Sean Wade didn't do stuff, right? He's maybe one of the guys who didn't talk. Lots of information gathered. We're just going to talk about the most interesting stuff, the most important stuff that happened. Nathan Baird, what's first on your list? I mean, I feel like we should just talk about Justin Fields straight up off off the bat. I mean, he was one of the guys that from a national level was going to have the most attention today. Uh, it was He was disappointed not to get into the four threes on his 40, which is uh, kind of crazy because the time he did ran, uh, you know, you've seen four, four, four or four, four, three today is still uh, crazy fast for a quarterback. Um, you can go back, you have to go back to 2012 when um, uh, Robert Griffin, the third ran, I, I saw different numbers today. I saw four, three, three listed somewhere as a number that he ran, but the last one at a combine to run faster than what fields did today. It, it's rare that you've, I, I even found ones that were outside of the four fives. I think Marcus Mariota ran a four, five, two, something like that. The year that he came out. So what, what Justin Fields did today was exceedingly rare for any quarterback that runs the 40. And then on top of that, to have what he has as a passer on top of that, just reinforced um, what he is as a prospect, things we saw these last two seasons. And I think what has been kind of just the underlying opinion of him now, am I'm not necessarily as gushing over what he did today from a passing perspective only because um, it's, it's against nobody. I mean, it's, it's but every pro days said. against nobody. I mean, right. at some point we have to compare yeah. pro days. I mean, every pro days against nobody. So that's what pro days are intended to be. So how was his pro day throwing? I mean, he, he made all the throws. He, he had some, uh, some, some, obviously some really impressive ones. The one that got a lot of attention that people may see on social media where he, you know, um, rolls out to his left and then, and turn, you know, throws the hips back against his body and, and threw like a 70 yard bomb to CJ Saunders. I mean, there, there were definitely some really impressive throws mixed in in here and not very many errant ones. I mean, not many mistakes, not ones where you saw that uh, it looked like he didn't know where that ball was going or anything like that. I mean, it was the precision that you expect from fields. It was the um, arm strength that you expect from fields. It was the athleticism you expect from fields. I, 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 I didn't think it was anything that we didn't expect, um, but it was kind of the full display of everything. And, and if people hadn't really maybe scrutinized him as much before, I think there was a lot for them to gain uh, from a positive standpoint today. Was he in a bad mood? Because I think he probably left his season 
expecting that he was going to be the number two pick in the draft. And it seems like he's definitely not going to be the number two pick in the draft. And you can find draft boards where he is 15th. You can find him falling to the Patriots where they don't even have to trade up to get him. You can find draft boards where he is the fifth quarterback taken behind not just Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, but Trey Lance and Mac Jones. So again, I said, let's not talk about the draft in general, but I want to know if Justin, Justin Fields sees it. He knows it. Steven, was he, was, was he acting like or talking like he was trying to show something today of like, hey, that's crap. I'm the best quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. Not really. I mean, when he he got asked about, you know, the, the being stuck on one read and that holding on to the ball and that stuff, and he kind of brushed it off. So not really. Um, but I, I don't I mean he wouldn't have answered that question anyway. I, he kind of he gave off the same vibe Justin always gives off where I mean he just answers your questions. He's real professional and he obviously was voiced the fact that he was disappointed that he didn't run the four three, but other than not really. Not if he was Dwayne Haskins' personality, I think we would have felt that vibe a little bit more. That dude, I've been linked to this kid since high school, and I've outperformed him in two or three times we've matched up, and yet for some reason, it's, it's I'm not, not a, in a conversation with him anymore. But it's not that she. Yeah, it's not a Trevor Lawrence conversation. It's no, why it's, isn't it's, he in the conversation it's, it's, with right. Zach it's, Wilson. It's the fact that he's no longer. Not only is he not in that conversation now, it's like Trevor Lawrence tier. Then it's like the Zach Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance tier, and then it's him. How did he fall to that level? He wasn't grumpy. No. Was he I asked directly it. about it? Was he asked directly about like you are no longer projected? You're not even projected to be the third quarterback off the board a lot. Was he asked that kind of question? No, he didn't get that specific question. He was definitely asked about this this concept that Stephen brings up, the concept of you you know not being able to read deep in your progressions and all that stuff. And he answered it for us. But I was more interested. The question I asked him was like, "What are you talking to? How is this coming up with teams? And how are you addressing it?" And he talked about how. You know, he's he's having Zoom calls where, as, as every quarterback does, every player does, you know, they, they'll bring up a play and then you've got to diagnose it. You've got to recall what you saw from a, a defensive standpoint, what your read was, how you're taught to approach that play. Like, I feel like those are going to answer the concerns that may or may not be out there for teams as much or more than him throwing in, in shorts and a T-shirt in a Woody today. So I think... So I know that Alabama also had its pro day today on Tuesday, which I found kind of odd. Um, lots of times they try to really not do that. You know, I mean, there's going to be, I mean, both those teams are going to send like maybe double digit guys into this draft. So I'm a little surprised that that happened. And I'm pretty sure that the 49ers mm-hmm. went to and Alabama Patriots. pro day and Patriots. Bill Belichick was at Alabama. Not Ohio State, but I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, who traded up for the number three pick, and we all sent out. It's interesting to see how people do it differently. Landis sent a GIF, and Steven sent another thing, and I just wrote a sentence. When the trade was made and the 49ers traded up to three, it's like, ah, Justin Fields. I said Justin Fields in play for the 49ers at three. Landis, like, sent, like, a, a GIF of, like, him shimmying. He's not shimmying. Nobody thinks he's going to the Niners at three. As soon as the trade was 10 minutes old, everybody was like, it's either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Nobody thinks it's Justin Fields. But when you have a pro day, now all the NFL people who are watching this pro day, everybody's like, oh, he's good, right? It's a little weird, Nathan. It's like, it's one of those things. We cover one team. We only know one team. So the whole time we're like, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good, good. Nationally, they're like, he's good. Then they fall in love with somebody else. Now he has a good pro day and they're back to like, he's good. And they're back to where we always were. But 
it felt like that the throw that you were talking about, everybody went bonkers on Zach Wilson's pro day at BYU because he made a deep throw like that. It was a little bit across his body, but it was like turning your hips and getting the thing. And everybody was like, please, Steve Young, BYU. They lost to Coastal Carolina. Take him second. It felt like a little bit of an answer. It, was, it wasn't the exact same route, but there were some woohoos on Twitter with highlights of that throw. It felt like, and you make them anyway, but Justin Fields wanted to make sure he put a couple throws on tape too. To be fair though, they, they had the same guy scripting their pro days, yep. uh, John Beck. So the former BYU that, quarterback, I believe. Yeah. So, right. They actually, Justin did admit to that, that him and Zach had been working out out in California together. So the fact that that type of throw was in both, was their send off for both pro days isn't as crazy. It's just Zach Wilson's pro day was first, so he got to see his first. We probably would have been flipping this, and at, people would have been asking, is Zach Wilson answering Justin Fields with that throw if, if Ohio State's pro day was two weeks ago? Do you think Justin Fields in the end felt good about today, Nathan? Yes, I do. I, I, I mean, he, he talks – the way he kind of always talks a, a little bit. You know, he said he had a solid day – throwing the ball but I mean again there were barely anything that seemed like off target from from what I was watching you know that 40 time I know he wanted to get in the four threes because he said it but I mean geez I mean four four like what what do you what what, what how many what, what what's real qualms about there I mean I, I I think it was a really strong day but again like I said the pro day after you've done as much film as he has after you've played as much after you've had um a game like that sugar bowl game against Clemson there's only so much you can do. Listen, okay, I'm just going to jump in now. It was pro day. So this is like the recruiting conversation. We're talking about pro day. So you don't have to throw every caveat in about it's only pro day. We're talking about what they did on pro day. If pro days didn't matter at all, they wouldn't have pro days. So we get it. He put down a lot of film, but you think he had a, he had a pretty good pro day for whatever pro day is. Yes. Yes. Steven, what's your set? What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I want to talk about – we can get to the second guy I want to talk about in a minute. I want to talk about Baron Browning first. I think he continues to do – I thought he was going to do. You know, he's wowing NFL scouts with some of his, his numbers today. Let me get him up here. Let me scroll back up to Baron Browning here. 40-inch vert, a 10-10 broad jump, 23 bench press, and he ran a 4-5-1 and a 4-5-3, 40 on his two tries there. And I, I just think his versatility that he was doing some linebacker drills, he was doing some pass rushing drills that they showed the peaks when they would show other stuff other than Justin during the pro day on the broadcast. I just think that's a guy who's who's continuing to 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 lead to the idea that he might keep climbing up draft boards. And I think today was another example of that. Those numbers mean nothing to me. They're good for a linebacker. Yeah. They're great for a linebacker. I mean, I was looking back through last year's combine results and those those uh the, the 40 times that were first posted for him were okay they would have been like in the top eight among linebackers the ones the revised ones that he says his agent verified are, are are better and when you start getting in the low four fives that's another step up but it's the the vertical jump and the broad jump those are both like would have been like in the top 15 of all players last year i think or something like that and it would have been like second among linebackers so those were like next level athletic numbers that he was putting up so he is what, Stephen? You think he is showing NFL teams that he's a more dynamic player and a more dynamic athlete than he showed on film and with his production at Ohio State for four years, which was good, but not even like all Big Ten level good? 
Yeah, I think the idea of how you can use him is continuing to evolve. There's the versatility, the fact that he can play in the box and outside the box is one thing. And but they rarely use him as an edge rusher, which I think some NFL teams can do in the right system, maybe a three-four system. The, the 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 just the stuff he can do for your just opens your minds a little bit. I think it raises the stock value. Maybe he's a mid-second rounder now because of that. All right, so I want to tie these two guys together because I, I did ask a question for the texters that I want to talk about the answer. How'd Pete Warner do? He have a good day. Yeah, Nathan, he, he, he have a good day. What all day? Yeah, another. He had another good forty time. That like similarly, like Six. low four fives, um, or in the yeah, yeah somewhere in the four fives. Um, just, just, I mean, I, kind of what we expected. I thought is in the four, six flat 39 and a, and a half inch vert 10 to uh broad jump and 20 reps on the bench press. So just a little below Browning and everything. Yeah. Did they do height and weight? Did they give you guys that today or no? It's just different because we don't have the combine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Normally you get all the real numbers at the combine. You get an official height, you get an official weight guys put down their 40 time that matters most. Everybody's timing is the same. It's laser timed, whatever. And then you go to your pro day. And if you ran slow at the combine, you try to say, oh, we'll count this 40 time instead. But this year, I mean, the pro days matter. This is it. The pro day is your combine. So there is a lot extra on here. So I'm a little like, I'm just curious about some of the basics of like, oh, it's running two inches taller and 12 pounds heavier putting up these numbers than Pete Werner. Is Pete Werner heavier? I don't know. I don't know. So Do you think, Nathan, then that both these guys, that Baron Browning and Pete Warner, are they both more intriguing after pro day? Like, did they confirm some things? Do you think they're both in good shape for what Warner has better film? He did some more things. He had some more responsibilities. Listen, this season, they made Baron Browning go play the other side so that Pete Warner could be the guy who gets to make all the tackles. So we know what Ohio State thought. They kind of put Pete Warner ahead of Baron Browning. But both in pretty good shape, you think, Nathan, given how today went? I was especially intrigued by Browning. Um, I was going to bring him up if Steven didn't. And I think those. it's really interesting to compare those two guys side by side. I know you sent a text the other day saying you're really eager for the draft to get here because you want to know actually who was good among these state linebackers. You want some other opinions. And because don't we – like you look at those numbers and so many of them are very close. But don't we look at Pete Werner as someone – who kind of maximized his potential at Ohio State. And we look at Baron Browning as someone who did not. Someone who either because Ohio State never figured out how to use him or because maybe he didn't follow through all the way. Like there was something kind of left on the table with Baron Browning or like a promise that was left on the table and whether that's fair or not. So that's kind of how I've been like for a post coming up later this week, I've been trying to kind of formulate like how to fully write that because on one hand, it seemed like he did it today. Like you can, it's not a theory. Like before we would watch him play football or we knew about his recruiting rankings, whatever. And and the way people evaluated him, you think, man, there's some athleticism there. There's some whatever there. And here now it's, it's like down on paper. It's in black and white. This is what he does with a vertical jump compared to every other athlete in the draft. This is what he does in a broad jump and a 40 compared to other athletes and people at his position in this, in uh, recent drafts. So it's not a theory anymore as to what he is athletically. And now it's just a matter of, does that mean that Ohio state didn't ever quite figure him out? And maybe an NFL team could use him in a more specialized way that actually gets the most out of him. Is it something now that he has to live up to more? I actually think it's both of those. in some ways, right? Like that in the NFL, he even said today, there's teams that have talked to him about being like a Mike linebacker. Who's a sort of like a pass rush specialist, 
and, or defensive end or any number of things. Um, so I think that the chances of teams being able to just find a niche for him that really lets him blossom is is there. But I think that also should reinforce to Baron Browning that you got no excuses now when you get to this next level other than the fact that it's the hardest level of football in the world to play. Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, who I think won the Butkus last year, I think, as like was like the best linebacker in college football. He's a guy that I like for the Browns at 26. A lot of people do. I think he's like a Mike linebacker who also can rush off the edge. That it's like one of those, well, like in our, okay, like you can play like in the box as a linebacker on first and second down, and then you can go out on the side and pass rush on third down. And so when you're talking about some of the stuff with Browning, it's sort of like, well, that's a lot of stuff, but like there are certain guys like that. Zayvon Collins is bigger. I think Zayvon Collins might be like 260 pounds. I can't go ahead. I would say I've always just assumed Baron Browning ends up as an outside linebacker in a three, four. I know we don't want to talk about the draft, but that's just like, and to and this athleticism kind of reinforced to me that he could, that that makes sense. It felt like he, you were watching him back in high school when you go to see kids at day camps and he's just a star at this. He's, I mean, he just shines in these types of settings. I don't think, I think he can play in a four, three though, too. I mean, like sometimes it's, it's hard. I don't know. And a lot of teams are, it's not as simple as three, four, four, three anymore, but you know, like TJ Watts, like a, an, an outside linebacker in the Pittsburgh three, four, but he's like miles Garrett, you know, like he's not like, I don't think Baron Browning is still actually a linebacker who also has pass, pass rush skills. I can't get away from Micah Parsons. And the fact that Micah Parsons was a guy that, that was very interested in Ohio state in recruiting. And we know that that kind of went sideways and they parted ways and he wound up at Penn state, but I'm just not a hundred percent sure that Micah Parsons is really any better of a football player or any better of an athlete than Baron Browning. But I think at Penn state, they put him in positions to just do everything. It was like their defensive plan was let Micah Parsons be Micah Parsons and we'll figure out the rest. And Ohio state for two years, Baron Browning was sharing time with tough Borland. And then they finally moved him outside. And even when they moved him outside, they did it for what was best for Pete Warner. And they had Baron Browning covering tight ends and they never did what was best for Baron Browning. Now, Ohio state's better than Penn state. So sometimes when there's lots of good players around you, that's the deal. And he chose to come here, but I don't like Micah Parsons where he's being projected. I would not, I, you see drafts where it's like Micah Parsons is going seventh. And I'm like, that is not where I would take him. But if you are a team who is thinking about Micah Parsons in the first half of the first round, I would tell you to pass on him and take Baron Browning in the first half of the second round. And I think you will get much greater value. And I'm not so sure you won't get a kind of similar player. And I'm not a hundred percent sure you won't get a better NFL player. So Baron Browning proved that today. Nathan, what'd you want to say? I was going to throw in, too, as you were talking about how his his role has been uh, minimized a little bit over the years. Um, at the end of this season, I know he had some absence in there, too. But by the end of this season, he was kind of splitting time again with Justin Hilliard. Like Justin Hilliard was getting a lot of snaps late in this season because he was playing really, really well. He was playing the best football of his career. So then now it's one of those retrospect things that we look at now and say, like, well, was that an additional signal that there everything hadn't come together for Baron Browning? Or was it? additional like we're starting to see how Justin Hilliard was a better NFL draft prospect than we thought with some of the things that he did today so I, I don't know it's it's it, he's going to remain a conundrum until 
he is like a couple years into his NFL career, I think. I as think far key, as like how we look at his Ohio State career. I think the key point you made there is Michael Parsons went somewhere where they just let him be Michael Parsons for three years. While Baron Browning didn't get to go somewhere and just be Baron Browning for three years. So he actually, I think you're right. There's more value in Baron just because he, one, he probably can still do the let Baron Browning be Baron, Brown, Baron Browning part of his game. But also there's probably some facets to his game that have been developed over the past four years that maybe don't exist in Micah Parsons game because his role with that team is I'm a will linebacker, go see ball, get ball. No, he um, Browning can play can play inside at linebacker. Mm-hmm. He can play outside at linebacker. He can pass rush. He does have versatility. And I will point you to an Ohio State spring football plea: find the right position for Baron Browning, Douglas Maurice, March seventh, twenty nineteen. So here we are, two years later, and it's the same plea. Uh, all right, let's go to the texture poll: which Ohio State linebacker will? be taken first in this draft. And I gave all four choices, Baron Browning, Pete Warner, Justin Hilliard, Tuff Borland, Steven asking the people who will be taken. This was before pro day. Who do you think won and what, what percent before pro day, probably Pete Warner won. Um, and I would say he got 65%. Nathan, who do you think won yeah. will be taken? I think they said Browning, and I think they said like 43% to him. Browning, 80%. People are in on the NFL liking Baron Browning. 80% Baron Browning, 14% Pete Warner, 4% Justin Hilliard, and I see the seven of you who voted for Tough Borland. I see you. Somebody texted it. It was like, I'm going to give Tough Borland a vote just so he doesn't get zero. I'm going to come find you, and I'm not sure if I'm going to, like, shut off your tech subscription or give you a free month, but I'm finding you. The next question was, which Ohio State linebacker would you take first in the draft? And, again, we're going to get a lot more specifically to the draft, but as Nathan said, I had this. I had linebackers on my mind because I feel like it's been a three-year question ever since Greg Schiano screwed up the whole group in 2018. Greg Schiano and Bill Davis drove these guys into the ground, and now all four of them are still here, and I still can't get a handle on them. Who would you take? Nathan, I'm not asking you what you think the texters said, but Nathan, who would you take first? And I know positional need and all of it, but generally, would you take Baron Browning, Pete Warner, Justin Hilliard, or Tuck Warland? I would take Baron Browning. Steven, who would you take? Baron, which is probably pretty known at this point. But you, but, and Nathan, you would apply the thing of like, you take the guy, if you have a guy with great form, a guy with not great form, take the guy without great form because you can make him better. Pete Warner kind of got to do what fit him Baron Browning kind of was moved around and maybe there's more upside there. This surprised me as much as Baron Browning was the overwhelming favorite for who they think will be taken. He still won who you would take, but it was less. He got for who you would take 51% as opposed to 80%. And Werner got 36% as opposed to 14%. So more people personally like Pete Warner than they think the NFL does which I found a little interesting. I thought people might be like, well, I think Warner, he had more production. The NFL will like him more, but I would take Browning. It was actually kind of the opposite of that nature. But then there's, that means there's an even bigger percentage who were going to take, who would take Hilliard or Borland or other than either one of those two, right? They would take 11% would take Justin Hilliard and six people would take tough Borland. And again, I'm coming for you because I'm going to make you take him and put him on your football team, buy a football team and take, Tough Borland ahead of Pete Warner and Baron Browning. That's what you've done to yourself. PFF 
did a ranking the other day. And listen, I really like PFF. Sometimes they are bazonkers. And I don't know where they're coming from. They had Justin Hilliard. They had the new big board of overall top 100 players in this draft. They had Justin Hilliard in the 90s, and they did not have Werner or Browning in there. And I was like, what are we doing? And I know PFF just put out another tweet this afternoon that Justin Hilliard, I think, is like the only linebacker in the country who like graded above 80 against the pass and the run. And it's like, oh, you think he did? Because he played like 17% of the snaps last year. It's like, what are you talking about? I think it's just a weird statistical analytical thing. I don't think anybody actually thinks that. I think Justin Hilliard, maybe he'll go in the fifth round or sixth round. But like, I just think the conversation of like treating dressed Justin Hilliard, like he's on the same level as Baron Browning and Pete Warner, Nathan, I just think is, is wacky. I agree. And you know, we've used pro football focus and their ratings on here before and their grades. And I think they're useful when you're comparing them to everybody else, but that it, it, it does get skewed pretty quickly sometimes. And they don't hedge their bets. They kind of just go all in on what their own grades are, which more power to them. But sometimes I think those small sample sizes and stuff can really skew the, the, what, what you're trying to say about people. They also don't always, yeah, they don't always have context with some of these grades. It's just, they definitely miss context. Yeah. This, oh, he was just really awesome. Yeah. He played 17 snaps. Okay. I mean, I would hope so. If, if, well, another guy is playing 35 snaps. And, and a lot of times, like he was put in the exact right situation for him. Right. Yeah. Pete Warner played 494 snaps last season. Baron Browning, 355. Tough Borland, 343. Justin Hilliard, 231. That's from our friends at 11 Warriors. By the end, he was playing a lot because they were playing like four linebackers and stuff a decent amount of the time. But it just it just wasn't the same the whole year. But while we're on him, while we're on him, Nathan, did Justin Hilliard have a good day? Yeah, um, that 27 that he did in the bench press, I, I forget, I texted it out. I don't remember where it ranked, but it would have ranked really high among all linebackers at the 2020 Combine. I, I thought that was important, and I asked him about it, and he said that he kind of thought it was important too because he's had multiple biceps tears in the course of his career. So that's something you're putting out there that like, hey, my upper body strength is is fine. And and he responded to a couple of questions about his injury history and that because that's how you end up being in college for six years if you're not studying to be a a, a doctor i guess and uh that he wanted to reinforce the teams that you know these weren't like lower body injuries they were things that shouldn't affect him at the next level and there, i think there's definitely a role for justin hilliard in the nfl he maybe end up more like a, a special teams guy um and a a a kind of a marginal contributor like that i don't know if i see him being like a a every down linebacker at any point, but I think there's definitely, I definitely bought into the, the idea that there is a role for him, not just because of things like this though, but because of how we actually saw him play football last season in, in big games. He said that um, he and Urban Meyer were talking and they kind of agreed that he was the best special teams player during the time that Urban Meyer was head coach here out of everybody. So yeah, I agree with that, that sentiment. And I don't want to be overly dismissive now of Justin Hilliard because he did play a lot of important snaps down the stretch, right? That Baron Browning missed the Big Ten championship game and Justin Hilliard played very well in that game. And he did play a lot of snaps against Clemson and Alabama. So like he, he was not a part-time guy at the end of his career. He just was a part-time guy for like the first five and a half years of it. And then right at the end, he wasn't anymore. And he showed something. He did show something. But I just think it's odd to try to equate that to how you would grade Pete Warner or Baron Browning. 
No, and I think it is important. He's a good example of remembering that this isn't just, you know, your college production only matters to a certain point. This really is a lot of time. It's that physical evaluation. So he fits into what you're saying before about why pro day is important for some players. It's massively important. And he's one of those guys. Was there a general vibe to the questions that everybody that people think that Urban Meyer is just going to draft six Buckeyes? And yes, there were so many. Hey, because Urban Meyer already knows you. Does that get your foot in the door a little bit? I mean, no, it really doesn't. Urban Meyer can't approach this like this or he's not going to be very good at his job. Stupid. All right, Nathan, what's another thing? What else do you want to talk? We do, I thought we covered the linebackers pretty well. Justin Fields important. Who else? Uh, we can talk about White Davis. And I want to talk about White Davis and Josh Myers. Yeah. And, and both guys who I thought we got a little bit more context about what they went through a little bit this season. White Davis talking about um, hurting his knee during the Indiana game and playing through that. We knew something was wrong. He just wasn't very forthcoming about it this year. So he needed to get out there and show, you know, show himself, um, do some things in a more, now that he has a more healthy uh, footing underneath him to, to be able to do it. Uh, Josh Myers said that he uh, ended up with turf toe after an injury in the big 10 championship game, that then affected him through the postseason, And he finally got it corrected with some surgery. There was a lot of damage apparently in there after when he got in there after the season so he's kind of he was only a partial contributor today or partial participant uh, because he's only halfway through the the process of getting back to health from that but should be fine by the time you know mini camps or whatever start after the draft so two guys who uh, by which happens i think during pro day interviews every year right that you get a little bit more context on the season that they went through and uh, what they're trying to show at Pro Day for both of them, well, more for Davis than Meyer since he couldn't fully participate, was just that uh, that they're back to health and that this won't be something that is going to linger and hold them back. Both of those guys only benched and obviously the position drill stuff as much as they could. Uh, Wyatt Davis, 25 reps, and then Josh Myers, 29 reps. It's funny. Turf toe is one of those sports injuries along with like high ankle sprain and concussion that like sound soft and fuzzy and they need a better name because it's like it really messed up your toe. And like if you don't, if it's like, oh, your toe, it's your toe. But like, try to walk around like when your big toe is completely jacked up. It's like you can't even walk, much I mean, less have it every step you take in a football field with leverage and torque and force and angles. You're jamming your mangled toe against the inside of your shoe. You can't get any push off. You can't, like, you can't be yourself. Yeah, it's like how Iceland and Greenland are misnamed or whatever. It's like turf toe sounds like you just stubbed your toe. It sounds like less than an ingrown toenail. But go listen to what, what uh, Josh Myers was describing today about, you know, having like a, a broken bone in there and uh, some other just whatever emulsion under the tendon, all this stuff. Like it was it was pretty nasty, it sounds like. Because like an ingrown toenail, it's like it's grown. It grew back into your foot. Oh my God, an ingrown, does that require surgery? Yeah, it does sound worse than turf toe. Turf toe sounds like something a stuffed animal would get. It's, we got to get better names. It sounds also, like when you get a rug burn. Yes. That's what is. turf it's toe like, sounds like. It's like it hurts, but if you're not four years old, it probably shouldn't ruin the rest of your day. Or like you hit your funny bone. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I, hurt, I hurt my turf toe. It's like, no. And the other thing that's always interesting, by the way, is like when you're in college, you kind of don't want to let people know about your injury because you're trying to fight. You don't want the other team to know whatever. And then as soon as you're out, your agent's like, tell everybody you were hurt. So they don't think that like you just played, you know, played below expectations for no reason. It's like I was hurt, which is fine. I get it. But it's like it's no surprise this came out now. Steven, who else? 
Jonathan Cooper is, I think, interesting. I just, um, he's smaller, and I think he's had that. Well, he said this. He's had that conversation with uh, coaches and NFL scouts, and they see him more as an outside linebacker in a three-four setting. So uh, that that's an interesting. He was working out with the linebackers, doing drills with them, like to, to kind of you know show off some of those skills get set. That's interesting to me. I think in the right system where he ends up getting picked at and whether he can work out more as an outside linebacker, even though he's never actually played the position in a real football game. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't, I don't think that's going to work. Um, I didn't say it was going to work. That's a tough, that's a tough move for him, but it's also one of those things that they don't move chase young to outside linebacker into three, four. It's like, you know, on some level, we underestimated Jonathan Cooper for the 2020 season. And then he went crazy and was like the best defensive end they had which he deserves all the credit in the world for and he came back and he was a leader and he was a really important part of Ohio State making the national championship game and now I think what's going to happen in the draft process is going to be a return to sort of what we were thinking about Jonathan Cooper in the preseason and it, he just balled out but he's just not quite at the same level of not just Chase Young and the Boses but Tyquan Lewis, Sam Harbour, Jalen Holmes like some of these other guys too. Uh, Nathan anybody else? Tommy Togiai, he was going for the bench press record. He only got 40, but there's only been three guys total in the last three combines who did 40 or more in the bench press. So it's still a really impressive number. He definitely talked like he felt a little bit let down today, but um, still a really impressive performance. And, you know, I'm still seeing, I don't remember which they flashed during whatever I was watching. You know, he still projected as maybe only like a fourth round pick. And uh, there does seem to be a, a guy that you could get a lot of value out of. I, I, I thought Mel Kuyper's opinion of him when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago or on a, on a teleconference about how teams can maybe if teams are going to get him in the fourth round. And he actually might be a, a second roundish talent if he had stayed and like, I guess, you know, followed through on his career and kept developing. So uh, just a guy I think that's interesting to watch. There seem to be some mixed opinions about you know, whether he has the size and things to really make a difference at the NFL level, but that kind of strength tells you where you can make that up. His second 40 time was faster than both of tough Borland's 40 times. Tough ran a four, nine, eight and a four, nine, nine. And then Tommy told you, I went a four, nine, seven. I just think it's interesting. I mean, a nose tackle ran faster than a Mike linebacker. You know, I don't know how often you can say that. Don't make me be mean. Don't make me. Why? You can say it when the when the middle linebacker is tough Borland. I don't. I mean, I don't. I want to say this quickly, and this is uh, Mike Kudla is a guy who was from Northeast Ohio. Who I remember it was early in my career here covering the team, and I think he was at the 2006 Combine. I'm looking at this, and he was a guy who wanted to do a bunch of reps, and part of it was because he had short arms. And so like, that's always a thing with the bench. It's like sometimes guys who are super strong, obviously that's the baseline. But if your arms are short, that's actually not good for playing football, but it's very good for doing the bench press. And so Mike Kula knocked out 45. I was just double checking the number. Um, so whenever we talk about bench press and this kind of thing, I always think of Mike Kudla and Mike Kudla uh, took his own life a couple of years ago um, after dealing with some stuff that I think was, potentially related to his football career. So I just had Mike Kudla uh, on the mind because he's a bench press guy. He did turn out to be a great NFL player, but he was a bench press monster, man. So I don't know. I, it makes me think a little bit. I'm um, curious about Tommy Togiai's arms. I don't know if Tommy Togiai has short arms because if he has sort of longish arms, like Adolphus Washington, I think had like gigantic arms for a tackle. If Tommy Togiai 
kind of has long arms, then the 40 is even better, right? Because he's not just, but if he's sometimes you're these guys, you're like the bowling ball guys. And it's like, well, you don't have a great reach, right? So I, I'm now super interested in Tommy Tokiai's arm measurement. I can tell you right now. I mean, he measured out at six foot one and a fourth of a uh, uh, fourth of a quarter. I don't, I don't know. See, six foot one was his, was his height and his wingspan was six foot six, three. So not really. Okay. That probably, yeah, that plays into a role of why he's able to bench like this. Um, all right, so that's Tommy Togiai. Steven, anything else? I, I mean, it, do we do we want to touch on Trace Herman? Did he help? I don't know if he helped himself or not today. I don't know if he hurt himself either with some of these times. Four, uh, four, five, seven, 40 time, a 37-inch vertical, a 10-5 broad jump. He didn't bench press. I just Some of that's probably because his shoulder is still healing, but I don't know if he helped or hurt himself. I just think those are pretty decent running back numbers, but he kind of is going to get slated where he's slated right now. They did not do – they don't the, – the flying karate kick is not a combine pro day drill, is it? No, 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 no. They didn't have a – no, they didn't have them hurl anybody. What if they had you put on spikes and they put up like a big chart on the wall and then you had to run up to the wall and there was like die on your spikes and you had to run up and kick as high on the wall as you could? And it was to test like if you could hurdle defenders or like how much – and they could also measure force – Maybe it would be like a pad where they could measure the force of how much it would hurt if you karate kick a defender in the face. I'll, I'll talk to Gil Brandt. I'll see if they can add that to a combine in the future. Nathan, is there anybody else? I just want to say real quick that they were at the 2020 combine, 15 running backs who ran four, five, seven or faster. Now, Trey Sermon may not have been able to get into his speed trading as quickly because he was coming off the injury, but he also said that he didn't think that injury was um, something that's going to hold back his, his the start of his NFL career. Who else to discuss? I mean, we covered the linebackers. We covered Toby and Cooper. We'll talk about Luke Farrell. That is about the last guy sitting out there. Luke Farrell and the specialists are really who we haven't talked about. And, um, you know, Luke Farrell saying, reinforcing something, you know, he was asked about Kevin Wilson saying that he thought he was the best blocking tight end in this draft. And Luke Farrell said, well, I think I'm, I am the best blocking tight end in this draft. So uh, interesting perspective from him on, I think we always ask these prospects as they're coming into Ohio state, like, you know, well, what do you, you know, aren't, aren't you worried about how much they're going to throw to you and all that stuff and what your role is going to be? And are you ready to accept being in an offense that doesn't throw it very much? And then Luke Farrell's the guy now looking back at it and seems somewhat content. Like he knows he had to go into drills today and, and show what he could do as a receiver. And it's something he says he's been working on like three days a week is doing receiver stuff. And, um, and he, benefits from the attention it's on Justin Fields in some ways because he was one of the guys out there running routes for Justin Fields today and I think that's that's beneficial for him but I think he also gets you know looks back at the end of his career and and sees that he you know for an NFL team that is going to value him as a, a, a blocker and what that can bring to an offense feels like Ohio State probably put him in, in pretty good position to do that I think he's got a chance to be like an eight to ten year NFL player I think he actually has a chance to have like a better NFL career than Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette who as we always talk about, you know, weren't thrown to all that much, but I think probably better pass catchers than Luke Farrell, but I don't know that. I don't think they blocked like Luke Farrell. And I think Luke will be one of those guys who is like a really good blocker who also can catch as opposed to one of those guys who like, Oh, he's really good catching the ball. It's like, he's an okay blocker. And it's almost, I almost think if you're going to be really good at one and kind of okay at another, of course we all know, right. George kill and Travis Kelsey, whatever. Like if you're not that 
if you're not going to be a thousand yard receiver, if you're going to be kind of like a in the middle NFL tight end, I think you might be better off being a great blocker who can also catch as opposed to the other way around, which I think is what Luke Farrell might be. Uh, let's go back to the texture survey before we get out of here, because there were two other questions that I asked that I wanted to make sure we gave our answers to not just linebacker questions. When we talked about earlier on this podcast, how many first round picks they'll have in 2020. And I said two, and you guys said like, or no, in 2022, I mean, two, not this draft, but the next one. I said two, and you guys said like three or four, I think, right? Um, depending on, I think, does Steven, you say four, and Nathan, you said like three and a half or something. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah. It was like, yeah, six, that sounds about right. It was like six hours ago for us. The, you listeners just listened yeah. to it like 31 minutes ago. You remember. The Texters, how many Ohio State players will be taken in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft? Three. Three was the winning vote. Four, though, finished ahead of two. So, again, always the comparison. Three, I would have guessed, would have won. 46% said three. 29% said four. 16% said two. 7% said five, which is when you get into, like, Wilson Olave, Zach Harrison and both tackles or something, right? That's how you maybe get to five, six or more, a very hopeful 2%, only one first rounder next year, just 1% of that. And now let's deal with this right now, even though this is a pro day podcast, not a draft 2021 podcast. How many Ohio state players will be taken in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft? One was the winner at 53%. That's Justin Fields, but two was not far behind it at 43%. Three or more was 4% and zero got zero votes. That's a lot of people saying to 43%. It's actually, and 47% overall, almost half saying that it'll be more than one. And there's not a clear cut guy. If we thought Wyatt Davis once upon a time was that guy, you cannot find Wyatt Davis in a mock first round anywhere right now. You just can't. So Nathan, and we'll do more draft later. Who is your most likely, who do you think is the second Buckeye taken? in this draft at this point with the information that you gathered today at pro day, I think the candidates would be Tommy Togiai, Baron Browning, Pete Werner, Sean Wade, and Wyatt Davis, and maybe Josh Myers, I guess you could throw in there. I think those are the candidates. Who would you say will be the first guy off the board after Justin Fields goes in the first round today? I would say Baron Browning, Steven. Yeah, I think I agree with that, Baron Browning. I think I agree with that, too, which I think is good to have this be a pro day discussion because I'm not sure we all would have said it before pro day. I think pro day pushed what you maybe thought about Baron Browning into a greater reality. And I think a lot of NFL teams are going to see. And here's the thing about Baron Browning as we as we finish this up. When you look at sort of, well, if he's such a great athlete, and he was a five star recruit. Why wasn't his production at Ohio State better? I don't think that has a lot to do with him. And it's not off the field stuff. It's not that like he couldn't handle the big stage or anything. It's just that like they didn't quite put him in the right spots. And so, again, I guess if you, you know, whatever, if you're a superstar, then you demand certain things. But like he just sort of he was a middle linebacker for two years when he never should have been a middle linebacker in 18 and 19 and then when they put him outside you know it still wasn't all full full go for him right so i think there are very reasonable explanations starting with bill davis nathan 
that if people go look at these numbers and then they go to the film, the numbers are great. The film is good. And if you ask why is not why isn't the film great instead of just good, that I think there's a very clear answer. I think so too. And I, I think it again, it's it the 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 contrast with Werner is the one that's really interesting to me, right? Because as, as talented as Pete Werner is, as athletic as Pete Werner is, he still measures below Baron Browning on all those things. So and this may be unfair, but like it just kind of it, does it tell you that there's something about Pete Werner that he himself is going out and taking it and getting something more out of his, at least his college career, than Baron Browning did. And is that something that Baron Browning has to answer now going forward? You have to, you can come you can apply that same logic to some of the positions Pete Warner was in the last two seasons, especially when he was at one point in 2019 lined up in a single high safety spot. Even if it was for that play, we all went, huh, why is Pete Warner back there? Is he going to be able to cover tight ends, all this other stuff? And then this year when he ends up being the world linebacker, when we all thought Baron, that was Baron Browning's job to claim it was really Pete Warner won that job. It was always that kind of reaction whenever Pete Warner was in these positions and once again, here we are again, where we're that's proven of why we thought we had those reactions to things. When you look at these natural, these just testing numbers, what is Pete Warner doing in a classroom or in a practice that's putting him, that's basically putting him over the top of Baron Browning in these positions the past two years. Ohio state clearly felt it had to have Pete Warner on the field the last two years. And it felt that in a way that it didn't feel that about Baron Browning. Correct. That's the way that's an interesting way to put it. And especially I mean, they're, they're very well, honestly. And again, they're very different players in a lot of ways, even though they played outside linebacker. There might be a team sitting there like with the 44th pick who like they like Browning and Warner and they kind of need an outside linebacker and they might be having this exact same conversation, right? And if you're going Browning, like, well, what is it that you now as an NFL team are making a different evaluation than the Ohio State Buckeyes did for three years? What's the difference? Because Pete Warner could have played middle linebacker. It's like, all right, well, Pete Warner like shares time with Tuck Borland and Baron Browning's on the outside. That would have worked too. So it's interesting. All right, I, I think it is worth doing. And I think it's fun to put us on the spot before the draft where we have to say, Nathan says, Baron Browning, number 56 to the Cowboys. And Steven says, Baron Browning, number 51 to the Steelers or whatever. We make ourselves say a thing. And maybe we'll even take uh, some texture stuff on that and have some input on that. So that's where we are. Big draft talk. We'll do it. Uh, one more big draft podcast before the draft actually comes at the end of April. Again, it's in Cleveland and they're going to have some stuff live in Cleveland. So this is like, you know, even bigger for us uh, than it normally would be. So thanks for listening. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.